I wanted to start this morning just by telling you a little story of something that happened to me quite a few years ago now. I was, I was in a small group. I think Abby just a moment ago mentioned small groups. We love small groups, getting into smaller groups of people and spending time uh, sharing relationship together. And towards the end of the evening, I had this intense heat in my, in my left shoulder. And uh, at the same time that I felt that intense heat, I was just getting these words rotating around my mind of like a, a torn muscle in two years. And I kind of wondered, is God speaking to me for someone else in the room through that happening? And um, I started to feel quite nervous about that. Am I going to share that with a group? Is this just me imagining it? Is it just one of those things? What's going on? Am I just getting like this isolated hot flush in, in my shoulder? And that's weird. I don't really get that kind of thing. And then as I'm thinking about it, I'm getting a hot flush that I don't even have because now I'm like, am I going to share it with the room? Should I? Shouldn't I? And all of this. And um, now it's kind of obvious something's going on because I'm panicking and everyone's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? They can't see what's going on in, in my mind. And, and then I shared it with the group, which felt great because it's like I've got it out. And then you have that moment where you're like, oh, no, everyone's looking around. Is that person now in the room? Have I just said something really random? Is this going to fall flat on its face? And they're probably less bothered because they didn't share it. I'm more bothered because I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to look a bit of a wally here. And uh, no one responds. Everyone looked at me a bit awkwardly. I felt a bit awkwardly and we moved on. And the next night I was leading a youth small group. And I was telling them the story of what happened, exactly how it happened. My shoulder, the hot flush thing, isolated with everything, the hot flush, share it. And um, then I shared that basically I nearly bottled it because of all of that. And then I wish I had bottled it because nothing happened and I just looked a bit of a wally. And here I am explaining it to this youth group, explaining that, you know, even though I got it wrong, it's about obedience and stepping out and just wanted to do what I felt the Lord was saying, even though nothing really happened. And halfway through the story, one of the girls puts her hand up like this, and it's kind of like, oh, you can go to the toilet on your own, we're not in there like uh, four plus. And anyway, she's like really waving her hand, and I'm like, this is a little bit odd, like I'm sharing a story, do I stop and be interrupted? It's not the time for questions. Anyway, in, in the end, she adopts this different tactic. She's like, I'm not waiting for you, I'm just blurting it out. And um, She's like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I'm like, what's you? She's like, that's me. Torn shoulder, two years. And as I shared it, she was healed instantly. As I've told the story, she's like, pain gone. I've had it for two years, constantly. Now, you know what young people are like? They're, oh, gosh, the evening changed. They're like clapping and chest bumping and high-fiving, and it is all going on. And I'm just sat there like, what? I shared that last night. What? And earth has just happened. And we started talking that evening about stepping out in faith regardless of the outcome. And we ended the evening with an increased, expect, increased expectancy for what God might do among us, how he moves in incredible power, regardless of anything we could possibly foresee or even imagine. And I want to look at a passage with you this morning that bears some similarities to that story. There are moments in the story where, where things really just seem to be going wrong. There are moments where they have the opportunity just to trust God and to act obediently and to believe what he's saying. And there's a moment where God does something way beyond anything they even thought possible. Be before I jump in, though, I, I kind of also just wanted to say that week after week, here and in other settings just like this, 
I see the presence of God trying to break in. I think many of you do. The presence of God is trying to break in. And what often happens, particularly on a Sunday, is someone will email me the following week and say, something was shared. I felt the Spirit of God. I felt or sensed him saying something. But I just, I, I didn't want to respond. I didn't know whether it was me. And honestly, I, I just want to encourage you to respond. Because often the Father breaks in in ways we can't even foresee. And often the thing that even grabs our attention, that may not be the thing. But the Lord might want to do something else. And so I just want to encourage us, respond to the presence of God. But before I, I digress with, with going down that track, let's just have a quick look. I want to read the passage in, in Luke chapter 5 and start in verse 1. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to follow along. If not, I'm, I'm going to read it out. But it says this in, in Luke chapter 5. One day as the disciples were preaching on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. <clears throat> he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets again. And this time the nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What's, what's just happened in, in the passage? Well, Jesus has been teaching in the local area and this huge number of people have started to follow him. We see that the crowds are following him and to give himself a bit of space so that people can get to him and hear him and, and see him. Jesus jumps into a boat that belonged to these fishermen and Simon and a few of the others have just returned from fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And after Jesus is finished speaking to the crowds, he tells Simon, hey, cast, cast out your nets, let's go fishing again. And this time they catch so many fish that the boat begins to sink. And there's a few things I want to draw from that passage and a few things I think we could learn from it together this morning. And th these are the three, so you know where I'm going. God can work through times of failure and crisis in our lives. That's the first one. The second one is God longs for us to be obedient. And the third one is we're changed when we respond. So, so firstly, I believe God can work through times of failure and potential crisis. Verse five, it says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Jesus gets into the boats, into the boat with these guys at this time of potential failure and crisis. A fisherman's life depended on fishing. They've been hard at it all night and they haven't caught anything. Personally, I think they've done well to try it all night. I've tried stuff like that. I tried night fishing with my dad, and we gave up after about 20 minutes because we couldn't see anything. But these guys, they know what they're doing. They're like professional 
fishermen. They knew that nighttime was the best time to go fishing. However, I think there's a point, well, maybe I'm reading into this and reflecting and projecting my own thoughts, but I, I think they would have been really tired. When I'm tired and stayed up all night, I get a bit grumpy. So they've just put in the night shift, they've tried really hard all night and they've got no return. I, I guess with all of us, I know I, I've had times like that in my life. Productivity is just in the negative. Stuff is not happening in the way you thought. And Jesus says to Simon, he says, hey, put out into deep water, let down your nets for a fish. Now, what, what do you think Simon's reaction would have been? I think my response would have been like, what? What are you on about? Why on earth would we do that? I, I think I'd be a bit irritated, a bit put out. Master, we've worked hard all night. Why are we going to do that again? I'd, I'd have been thinking something along the lines of, hey, listen, Jesus, we're fishermen. We've always been fishermen. We always will be fishermen. With due respect, you're a carpenter. We know what we're doing. We deal with fish. You deal with wood. We're tired. What's five minutes in the daylight going to do? What's the point in giving it another go? And I know I'm reading a bit into the text. It doesn't say that. But I think there would have been a reluctance. I don't think it would have been a natural response. I don't think they would have just been bubbling over with faith. Hey, Jesus is going to do something we didn't foresee. Let's give it a go. I don't think that was going on. I think they would have been coming up with excuses left, right, and center. And so Jesus says, hey, go into deeper water, put you down your nets for a catch. And it, this response just pops out of his mouth. Master, we've, we've worked hard all night. We've worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing. Why would we do that? Basically, he's like, well, we didn't catch anything then, so why are we going to now? Would you kind of give it a rest? I'm tired. This is my sleeping time. Then he realizes there's a crowd on the shore staring at him. And he's like, oh, did I say that out loud? Again, I'm reading into the text. He doesn't actually say that. But don't, don't you think it's quite refreshing that that was their response? Because that's often my response where the Lord is trying to do something and I'm kind of not quite on board or realizing it. What I love about these guys... <coughs> The guys that Jesus is asking him or eventually asked to follow him, his disciples, is that in so many ways their characters were often quite like mine, quite like ours. It's quite refreshing to see it. So many times we see that the disciples were ambitious. They were argumentative. They were cowardly. They were critical. They were deceived. They were deserters. They were doubtful. They were dull. They were faithless. They were greedy. They misunderstood. They were prayerless, they were revengeful, they were unforgiving, they were unloving. I'm capable of most of that just in a day. But you know, these were people that Jesus appointed to minister in his name. They weren't yet mature, whole or holy. And yet Jesus chose to commission them to send them out to tell people about him. Jesus wants to use us as we are. And we get the rough edges knocked off us as we go. We're changed as we go. So what happens next? Well, Jesus says to Simon, hey, shove your boat out. Let's go. Let's leave the shore. Let's just push out a little bit. I know last night didn't quite work out, but let, we, we just give it one more go. We give it another go. How about it? Imagine Jesus gets into 
your boat. Imagine that's you. And he gets into the boat. Jesus, the son of the living God, is in the boat. And he says, will you push out from shore just a little bit? Will you trust me for this? Would, would you do it? He's not, I don't think he's actually asking that much, but he is based on their previous experience. So when Jesus approaches us, often he starts with something really simple. You could even miss it if you're not paying attention. The, the miracle wasn't pushing out the boat. That was to come, but they had to push out the boat to see the miracle. Would, would we miss it? Just a little nudge in the dark, right direction. You see, sometimes our journey towards Jesus begins with a time of crisis. It can begin with a time of failure. I wonder if that's how you come here this morning. Maybe a challenge with your health. Maybe a challenge with your marriage. Maybe the continual pain and heartache have been single. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're struggling to overcome aggression or struggling with how you look or just constantly feeling not good enough or just some of the laws or pressures of peer groups that you're associated with. I, some of you may have even come here this morning and you're like, I don't even know why I did come here this morning. I see, I feel like I was dragged along or somebody tripped. Was it really going to be this? Nobody told me it was going to be this. What am I doing here? And maybe you're just tired of people saying like, oh, don't worry, you'll get through it. You know, it'll, it'll work out in the end. Or it came good in the person who's chatting with your life, but you just can't see that for your own life. Well, I, I want to encourage you, and I think we see it in this passage, that these are often the times where God works, and he works powerfully. Whatever it might be in our lives, whatever the circumstances that might lead us to that point of crisis, it's often in those times that God gets our attention. As we move away from self-reliance and we start to move into a place of relying on God. Maybe actually it's totally the opposite for you. Maybe at this time in life, if you were just to benchmark it now, you'd say, actually, it's pretty good, actually. Things are going pretty well. But, you know, either way... Simon and the other guys, they recognized that, that something needed to change and they were willing to allow Jesus into the boat to do something about it. And I want to encourage you, regardless of your present situation or your circumstances, to be attentive. Are you willing to let Jesus into the boat, to just push that boat out a little bit when he nudges us? We're in the middle of a series that I've been doing on invitation. We're invited to know Jesus. We're invited to know him, but also to show him and to share him with, with others. And the invitation really starts just by letting, letting him in. Are you willing to let him in? Let's not let our background, let's not let our preconceived ideas or our present difficulties or our past failures or our self-doubt or even our doubt of God or the opinion of others, whatever it might be, let's not let that be the thing that keeps us from Jesus. Now, it would be quite easy to let one or a number of those things get in the way. Simon was, was, was maybe trying to safeguard himself from failure right at the start. Why am I going to do that again? Why, why would I try that again? It didn't work last time. After all, he's tried fishing all night. Why would you want to fail? Nobody wants to fail. How's he going to recover from that? It was hard enough last time, but to do it again. You know, in that small group, when I had the word about the shoulder, it would have been so easy to think, well, I'm never doing that again. 
that was just a bit embarrassing. What, what's the challenge for you? Is God asking you just to push the boat out a little from the shore this year? Maybe to let down your net again. Maybe to, to let him into the boat in the first place. For some of you, it's to get baptised. When we come to faith in Jesus, when we turn from our old ways, we get baptised. Would you give us the privilege of baptising you? Marking the moment in your journey, I think, is really powerful. Can I invite you to consider that? We're doing one, I think, we just mentioned it. It's on the 6th of October. But don't leave today without asking a question about that. When Simon lets Jesus into the boat, I, I kind of think, I might be wrong, but I think he might have been showing a bit of a half-hearted, half-hearted, sorry, obedience. I, but I love how Jesus reacts to what he says. He doesn't chuck him overboard. I'm like, oh, you're not really in, are you? I've, I've seen it so many times in my own life. I kind of give it a go, sometimes a little bit reluctantly. And sometimes I make a bit of a hash of it. And yet somehow Jesus manages to take my simple longing to step out in obedience and does something quite remarkable. This, this is where obedience is key. Even though it makes no sense, if Simon had not obeyed, would they have caught the fish? Well, I guess Jesus could have done it another way. He could have just made the fish jump into the boat without him pushing the boat out. He could have done that. But I think what he longs to do is for us to be involved. And so the, the second thing I really want to talk about this morning is obedience. God longs for us to be obedient. Verse 5, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Simon was probably thinking, well, naturally, no chance. I'm not going to do that again. I'm, I'm the fisherman. I'm the professional. I know what I'm doing. You're a carpenter. Nah. But because you say so, I'll give it a go. Simon's presented with this opportunity, a chance to choose God's best and a chance to live out God's fullest. What, what, what would you do for Jesus? I guess that's the test. How can you choose God's best at each opportunity that you're presented with? Because you say so. Because you say so. You know, actually, I'm tired of being the only one who tries with my family. But because you say so. Actually, I'm pretty shy and I've, this hasn't worked out before. I don't really want to share my faith at work. It's not the easiest thing to do. But because you say so. We'll wait until I'm married to have sex. Well, the culture's moved on from that one. But because you say so. I'm busy. I, I don't really have time for community, for small group, for relating with others, for going on this journey of sharing life together ah but because you say so dealing with an aggressive attitude is really hard work but because you say so i'm not going to fit in actually if i don't swear or gossip or get drunk that's what everyone else is doing in my seasonal stage of life but because you say so I'll live differently. What, what, is, what is it in your lives? What can you pull down now? What can you grab hold of? What do you feel the Father is speaking to you over? What If we're willing and obedient with it, if Jesus says so, is he nudging you and prompting you in that? This invitation series is 
really based around just trying to awaken something in you, awaken the fullness of a relationship that you could have with Jesus, and also to share it. On the 13th of October, we're going to have this gathering just like this, and I can't think what we're calling it, but it's kind of around the idea of tri-church. I want to encourage you to ask somebody that you're in relationship with or not even in relationship with, someone you know, maybe somebody you don't know, to try church. We try and make all of these environments as accessible as possible, but especially so that week. Who, who could you invite? Who could you step out in faith and ask somebody? Simon and the others had been at it hard all night, working away, struggling for nothing. But as soon as Jesus got into the boat, everything changed. Simon's act of obedience was just to let the nets down again. It says verse 6 and 7, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And as they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Jesus asked Simon to push his boat into deeper water for a catch. And what was the result? An utterly unprecedented catch of fish in a location that seemed hopeless the night before. And it was caught at the powerful and the authority of the word of Jesus. What, what an amazing God we serve. The focus on the passage and the focus in the passage, it's not on the nets, it's not the size of the bait, it's not how long they'd fish for. The focus is on Jesus because the doing bit is really down to him. Sometimes I think we take the ownership, we take the responsibility, but it's not on us, it's on him. They just had to be willing to let the net down again. Would you step out? Could I encourage you? Step out and invite someone. It's not to say that obedience always comes easily. Being obedient often is a sacrifice. Sometimes it means facing criticism. It can be embarrassing. Regularly, it means laying down our own desires and preferences. But if he says so, will we do it? Let me give you an example just <coughs> in my own life. Before Steph and I got married, Steph was studying um, at Leeds Uni, which was miles away from where I was in Essex at the time. And one of the challenges that we faced while she was there was working out where I'd stay when I went to visit. Now, the easy option would have been to sleep on the floor in Steph's room. But it, it's kind of got to be said that for her to resist me would have placed her under phenomenal pressure. So um, she's got eyes. So, I mean, but joking aside, um, we, we both wanted to be obedient to prioritizing purity and knew that sleeping in the same room was just not a wise thing to do. So we long not to compromise our own resolve and witness around us. Now, just to put this into wider context, I was working in the fire service at the time, and I honestly, I came under daily pressure, like not even daily, I came under like half hourly pressure from my colleagues in this particular area of my life. I was ridiculed. I was under immense pressure to compromise what I believe was God's best. Every conversation was sexualized. And so I contacted the local vineyard church um, up in, in Leeds. And uh, amazingly, this couple in the church offered me a, a room for a small fee. And I was kind of like, small fee? I'm just trying to do God's thing. What are you charging me for? And um, anyway, I went to visit this guy and he reminded me of my physics teacher, which was, it wasn't a good memory. And um, 
it was kind of like a force to be reckoned with. And I became increasingly nervous when this guy said he expected me to be in by nine o'clock each night. I'm like, really? And anyway, the icing on the cake was this guy lived 40 miles away, like the other side of the big hill, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a big one, you'll know. Um, it just it just wasn't going to work. I, I could drive from Essex to Leeds quicker than I was going to in rush hour get back to this guy. So what, what are we going to choose? The right option or the easy option? So I started asking around. I was like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work. There must be another option. So I found a couple of student lads in the church that lived about three miles away. And they were like, oh, when you're up, you can sleep on the sofa. And I was like, yes, the Lord is providing. This is wonderful. And I popped around to visit it. And I've seen some amazing student accommodation in my time. And some really interesting accommodation. And um, this house was another level. They were using paper plates rather than washing up. And I'm like, that, I, kind of, I can work with that. That's okay. But to even take these paper plates to the bin was like a stretch too far. So it was quite a pile. And they've, they've showed me to my accommodation, which was the sofa in the living room, and no lie. Now, you're going to think I'm lying. You're going to think I'm exaggerating, and you're going to think this is a stretch from the truth. No lie. This rat ran behind the sofa. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Plan A was not going to work. Plan B was not great. What are we going to do? The right option or the easy option? I remember thinking as I drove away, I was deflated. I was like, God, you are having a laugh with me. I am trying to do the right thing. And I'm going to have to sleep on this sofa with a rat. Anyway, I was baffled. When, when we, we went back, I got back to where Steph stayed in this hall of residence. And everyone else is like, where have you been? What are you doing? And I'm telling them the lengths I'm going to sleep in a different room. And some of the lads in Steph's house were like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just sleep on my floor? And I spent the next three years, well, not three years, I spent the next year just moving around a different guy's house, staying up virtually all night talking about Jesus. It was amazing. The, the, the opportunity he gave me. Anyway, Steph came to second year, and um, when they were looking for a house, they found this house with six rooms in it, but unknown to me, there was an extra room that the landlord couldn't rent out because it was too small. We could literally just get a bed in it, and so I could have it for the rest of her time at uni. Now, I make it sound slightly better than it was. There was, like, there was no light, no windows, just this little hole at the top, and in the morning, this little bird used to come in and <laughs> pay me a visit. But it was amazing. It was a provision. I didn't even have to pay for it. It was phenomenal. Now, why, why do I tell you all of that? Well, we wanted to be obedient, but it wasn't practical. It definitely wasn't the easier option, and it didn't really make sense to anybody around us. But we wanted to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And I hope, I dearly hope, we would have done that regardless of whether or not the easy option eventually showed up. I think it's important to say what I'm not saying is I always get it right. What I'm not saying is we always make the right judgment in every area of our life. Of course we make mistakes. But what I am saying is Jesus invites us to be obedient. He longs for us to be obedient. The, the, the third and the final thing I wanted to say this morning is God changes us as we respond. Verse 8 to 10 says this, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, great men, Simon's partners. You know, when we see Jesus, our lives change. When we respond to him, our lives are transformed. I long to fall on my knees before Jesus and just have this heart cry of change me, change me, change me, change me. Make me more like you. You know, in the case of Simon, he falls to his knees and he's like, go away from me, Lord. Go, oh, I'm a sinful man. I, I find that really refreshing. I've had times in my own life where I feel like I've met with the Lord. I've spent time in his presence and he's answered my prayers in amazing ways and I suddenly realize I'm just too human. I am just too normal. I am too unbelieving. Even this last week, I just had a, a moment where I felt like that happened to me. I, I just, oh, this is almost too much. Father, you come into the realization of just who you are and how desperately you need him and his presence. I feel like some of this actually is even landing on us as a church. We've been awakened to the fullness of what he has for us. And in that moment, sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not like a, it's not always a shame thing. It's more of a realization of the holiness of the presence of God. Paul finds a similar thing in Romans 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. He will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers, delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's kind of what I said right at the start about in Romans 5. It's like the, the love of God. He chose you before you chose him. Nothing can separate. If you come with that sense of condemnation or doubt or separation this morning, it doesn't need to be the case. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus. Simon and Paul both share the same conclusion. The answer is Jesus coming to him humbly, brokenhearted, and allowing him to restore us. It happened that night in that small group with those young people. I was blown away by it. I'd kind of boxed God into only working in a certain way, ways that I could understand, ways that I could explain, ways that made sense. And my eyes were opened to a fresh sense of who he really was and my response was nothing really but to fall on my knees before him afresh Simon knows he's a sinner he knows he's not worthy to experience the benefit of God's power and his presence but as he encounters Jesus his response was and I hope as would be the same it's to fall on his knees longing for forgiveness and to be changed more into the likeness of Jesus I Honestly, I, I, I think we've got to be careful here, though. I think there's a helpful warning in this passage. Don't be tempted to turn your back on Jesus because you think you're so unworthy. Have you ever felt that? At times you can just feel, I'm so unworthy. I don't deserve it. I, what's the point trying? I'm such a failure, such a wreck. In my life, I just keep consistently falling short of what I think he's got for me. And I saw that in my dad's life. He made so many mistakes, and as a result, he turns his back on God. He distanced himself from him. He knew God, but he chose to deny him countless times. He had moments and opportunities where his eyes were opened afresh, but such was his guilt and his shame that he couldn't handle it. God can't forgive me because of this. He couldn't bring himself to turn back to God. He spent his whole life just saying, I've gone too far. It's too late. God can't forgive me. I've messed it up. And almost like Simon said in verse 8, it's like this, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
you know, thankfully, I think some of you know the story as a broken, wretched, dying man. He did, in his end, fall on his knees before Jesus. But, but Jesus can forgive you. Honestly, are you, if you're willing to let go, if you're willing to acknowledge your need of him, in this passage, Jesus met the fishermen in their failure and he restored them and offered them a new way of living. Something else that's really powerful in this passage that we could quite easily miss if we skimmed over it is initially Simon calls Jesus master. He says, verse 5, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But then in verse 8, he falls to his knees before him and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, seeing and acknowledging Jesus for who he really is changes everything. He's no longer your master. He refers to him as Lord, the one who Simon is willing to drop everything for and follow. I, I believe that when we truly realize who he is and all that he calls us to, the faith to follow him comes far more easily. You know, in verse 10 and 11, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. From now on, he says, you'll fish for people. Well, that's, that's a career change and a half. But Jesus transforms lives. As we respond to him, we're changed. What's next, as he calls him to follow him, I, I believe that the change goes beyond ourselves. It's not just that we're changed, it's that others are changed as we're changed and that overflow goes to those around us. As we're changed, we're called to make a change. Jesus, so just as the disciples are called to follow Jesus, they were then called to fish for people. Now, I know many of you will know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, but I just thought I'd clear it up for you. Um, a, a thermometer measures the temperature and a thermostat changes it. I was reminded of this when Steph and I, we had central heating fitted in this place we lived in down south. Prior to having it, we, we settled for this tiny little oil field radiator thing. And during the winter months, I had to set the timer at 3 a.m. so that by about 7-ish, we could get up and at least put an arm out of the duvet without frostbite. And so if, if you dare poke a toe out, your toe would just fall off in the middle of the night. That's an exaggeration. The rat thing was true. That's not true. <laughs> but um, it was. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, it was just so cold. So anyway, we've, we've saved up a bit of money and we eventually could afford central heating. Now, this super-duper piece of modern technology that many of us take for granted came with a thermostat. Now, surely central heating will be more efficient than this tiny little oil-filled radiator. So... Rather than set it for 3 a.m. like we used to, I thought I'd set it for 5 a.m. And it would be surely warm by about 7-ish. Now, never had the luxury of being able to control heating. I pondered what temperature to set it to. So I set it to 35. And um, I, I literally, I set it to come on at 5, about 20 past 5. I woke up feeling like I'd swallowed a sandpit. You know when you're like, what is going on in here? Uh, it's like been in the Caribbean. Now, we are roasting. So we adopted the emergency house evacuation procedure, which is basically Steph stood at the back door and I'm at the front door and we're just wafting air into the house thinking we're not going to be able to cope. But what, what massive lesson. But what, what I wanted to say was this. You know, in life, I believe we're not just supposed to be a thermometer that measures the temperature of the environment. 
we're supposed to be a thermostat that affects it and changes it and alters it. I believe that we're called to alter and adjust the temperature of the environment around us. One example would be, and to link to what I told you earlier, when Steph was at uni, we didn't go around judging people. But you're sleeping in the same room? Oof, what the Lord say about that? You know, it's not supposed to be like that. Even if you come here this morning and from what I've said, you feel a degree of condemnation, that's not, that's not what I want you to hear. It's the same with so many situations and circumstances we face now. We're supposed to be in these places to adjust the temperature, to make a difference, to live differently, to allow people around us to see Jesus through our attitude, our actions, our behaviours, to adjust the temperature. It's as a result of us being in them, those environments that the temperature is changed and that others are changed through that as they see something of the presence of God. I long to be somebody that passionately lives for Jesus, that alters the temperature around me. I, I, I don't want to just go along with a flow. I'm not just going to swear because everyone else is swearing. I'm not just going to gossip because that's how I fit in and it makes it easier. Put other people down because it makes you feel a bit fluffed up. Bully the person that everybody else is bullying. As we respond to Jesus, the invitation is to obedience. And as we're obedient, we begin to change. I, we often say it in these environments. I just wanted to say it again. Come as you are. Honestly, come here as you are. But we don't stay as we are because as we, as we encounter Jesus, we're, we're changed. And you're invited into that place. You're invited to be part of that environment. But I want to encourage many of you, you're invited to invite others into it. Sometimes it's really helpful just to have a moment and a marker and say, well, on the 13th of October, step out, invite somebody else in. Let me, let me just recap some of what I tried to share with you. you know, God can work through times of potential failure of crisis. What might otherwise seem like failure and crisis with Jesus is often just an opportunity. If that's how you come here this morning, it may be an opportunity for breakthrough right now in your lives, whatever it might be, whatever the circumstance that leads you to that place. God can get our attention as we move from self-reliance to dependency on God. Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to give our lives to his words, to his life? Or do we hand over our thoughts and our actions and surrender them to Jesus? The Holy Spirit working in us and through us to produce a pattern of living that's pleasing to him. Are we willing to listen and learn? Obedience is really key because you say so. Father, because you say so, I'll let down the net. And then finally, we're changed. We're changed as we respond to him. When we see Jesus, our lives are changed and the results is, is abundantly more than we could have foreseen, expected, or even imagined. Why don't we stand together? <coughs> if, if you've not been here before, what we're going to do is just spend the next few moments just resting in the presence. That could be quite a strange thing for me to say. And if you've been here a while, I think sometimes we can become complacent with it. And is it an emotion? Well, it can be an emotion. Is it a feeling? It can be. Is it an experience? It can be. But I think it's, it's more than that. He embeds something in our souls 
as we express our love and worship to him. And, and I was just reminded, I think it's in, in the book of Romans in, in chapter 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He chose you before you chose him. Regardless of anything that you might feel separates you or is a blockage or a barrier or, well, I'm not worthy, I, I can't, I shouldn't, I won't. None of that counts when it comes to the love of God. So whether you felt it or not, whether you feel you experienced it or not, I just wanted to make us aware afresh of the love of God is the most transformative thing we could know or experience. And I, I, I pray that would rest on you today. I pray that you would have an awareness of it, even if you don't feel it, if you, if you don't sense it, that it would transform your mind and embed into your soul. And I, I, yeah, I could not say that, but I wanted to start this morning just by telling you a little story of something that happened to me quite a few years ago now. I was, I was in a small group. I think Abby just a moment ago mentioned small groups. We love small groups, getting into smaller groups of people and spending time uh, sharing relationship together. And towards the end of the evening, I had this intense heat in my, in my left shoulder. And uh, at the same time that I felt that intense heat, I was just getting these words rotating around my mind of like a, a torn muscle in two years. And I kind of wondered, is God speaking to me for someone else in the room through that happening? And um, I started to feel quite nervous about that. Am I going to share that with a group? Is this just me imagining it? Is it just one of those things? What's going on? Am I just getting like this isolated hot flush in, in my shoulder? And that's weird. I don't really get that kind of thing. And then as I'm thinking about it, I'm getting a hot flush that I don't even have because now I'm like, I'm going to share it with the room. Should I? Shouldn't I? And all of this. And um, now it's kind of obvious something's going on because I'm panicking and everyone's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? They can't see what's going on in, in my mind. And, and then I shared it with the group, which felt great because it's like I've got it out. And then you have that moment where you're like, oh, no, everyone's looking around. Is that person now in the room? Have I just said something really random? Is this going to fall flat on its face? And they're probably less bothered because they didn't share it. I'm more bothered because I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to look a bit of a wally here. And uh, no one responds. Everyone looked at me a bit awkwardly. I felt a bit awkwardly and we moved on. And the next night I was leading a youth small group and I was telling them the story of what happened, exactly how it happened. My shoulder, the hot flush thing, isolated with everything, the hot flush area. And um, then I shared that basically I nearly bottled it because of all of that. And then I wish I had bottled it because nothing happened and I just looked a bit of a wally. And here I am explaining it to this youth group, explaining that, you know, even though I got it wrong, it's about obedience and stepping out and... I just wanted to do what I felt the Lord was saying, even though nothing really happened. And halfway through the story, one of the girls puts her hand up like this, and it's kind of like, oh, you can go to the toilet on your own. We're not in a, like, a four plus. And anyway, she's like really waving her hand, and I'm like, this is a little bit odd. Like, I'm sharing a story. Do I stop and be interrupted? It's not the time for questions. Anyway, in, in the end, she adopts this different tactic. She's like, I'm not waiting for you. I'm just blurting it out. And... Um, She's like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I'm like, what's you? She's like, that's me. Torn shoulder, two years. And as I shared it, she was healed instantly. As I've told the story, she's like, pain gone. I've had it for two years, constantly. Now, you know what young people are like? They're, oh, gosh, the evening changed. They're like clapping and chest bumping and high-fiving, and it is all going on. And I'm just sat there like, what? I shared that last night. What? And earth has just happened. And we started talking 
that evening about stepping out in faith regardless of the outcome. And we ended the evening with an increased, expect, increased expectancy for what God might do among us, how he moves in incredible power, regardless of anything we could possibly foresee or even imagine. And I want to look at a passage with you this morning that bears some similarities to that story. There are moments in the story where, where things really just seem to be going wrong. There are moments where they have the opportunity just to trust God and to act obediently and to believe what he's saying. And there's a moment where God does something way beyond anything they even thought possible. Be before I jump in, though, I, I kind of also just wanted to say that week after week, here and in other settings just like this, I see the presence of God trying to break in. I think many of you do. The presence of God is trying to break in. And what often happens, particularly on a Sunday, is someone will email me the following week and say, something was shared. I felt the Spirit of God. I felt or sensed him saying something. But I just, I, I didn't want to respond. I didn't know whether it was me. And honestly, I, I just want to encourage you to respond. Because often the Father breaks in in ways we can't even foresee. And often the thing that even grabs our attention, that may not be the thing. But the Lord might want to do something else. And so I just want to encourage us, respond to the presence of God. But before I, I digress with, with going down that track, let's just have a quick look. I want to read the passage in, in Luke chapter 5 and start in verse 1. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to follow along. If not, I'm, I'm going to read it out. But it says this in, in Luke chapter 5. One day as the disciples were preaching on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. <clears throat> he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets again. And this time the nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What's, what's just happened in, in the passage? Well, Jesus has been teaching in the local area and this huge number of people have started to follow him. We see that the crowds are following him and to give himself a bit of space so that people can get to him and hear him and, and see him, Jesus jumps into a boat that belonged to these fishermen and Simon and a few of the others have just returned from fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And after Jesus is finished speaking to the crowds, he tells Simon, hey, cast, 
cast out your nets, let's go fishing again. And this time they catch so many fish that the boat begins to sink. And there's a few things I want to draw from that passage and a few things I think we could learn from it together this morning. And th these are the three, so you know where I'm going. God can work through times of failure and crisis in our lives. That's the first one. The second one is God longs for us to be obedient. And the third one is we're changed when we respond. So, so firstly, I believe God can work through times of failure and potential crisis. Verse 5, it says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Jesus gets into the boats, into the boat with these guys at this time of potential failure and crisis. A fisherman's life depended on fishing. They've been hard at it all night and they haven't caught anything. Personally, I think they've done well to try it all night. I've tried stuff like that. I tried night fishing with my dad, and we gave up after about 20 minutes because we couldn't see anything. But these guys, they know what they're doing. They're like professional fishermen. They knew that nighttime was the best time to go fishing. However, I think there's a point, well, maybe I'm reading into this and reflecting and projecting my own thoughts, but I, I think they would have been really tired. When I'm tired and stayed up all night, I get a bit grumpy. So they've just put in the night shift. They've tried really hard all night, and they've got no return. I, I guess with all of us, I know I've had times like that in my life. Productivity is just in the negative. Stuff is not happening in the way you thought. And Jesus says to Simon, he says, hey, put out into deep water. Let down your nets for a fish. Now, what, what do you think Simon's reaction would have been? I think my response would have been like, what? What are you on about? Why on earth would we do that? I, I think I'd be a bit irritated, a bit put out. Master, we've worked hard all night. Why are we going to do that again? I'd, I'd have been thinking something along the lines of, hey, listen, Jesus, we're fishermen. We've always been fishermen. We always will be fishermen. With due respect, you're a carpenter. We know what we're doing. We deal with fish. You deal with wood. We're tired. What's five minutes in the daylight going to do? What's the point in giving it another go? And I know I'm reading a bit into the text. It doesn't say that. But I think there would have been a reluctance. I don't think it would have been a natural response. I don't think they would have just been bubbling over with faith. Hey, Jesus is going to do something we didn't foresee. Let's give it a go. I don't think that was going on. I think they would have been coming up with excuses left, right, and center. And so Jesus says, hey, go into deeper water. Put your, down your nets for a catch. And it, this response just pops out of his mouth. Master, we've, we've worked hard all night. We've worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing. Why would we do that? Basically, he's like, well, we didn't catch anything then, so why are we going to now? Would you kind of give it a rest? I'm tired. This is my sleeping time. Then he realizes there's a crowd on the shore staring at him. And he's like, oh, did I say that out loud? Again, I'm reading into the text. He doesn't actually say that. But don't, don't you think it's quite refreshing? that that was their response, because that's often my response, where the Lord is trying to do something, and I'm kind of not quite on board or realizing it. What I love about these guys, <coughs> the guys that Jesus is asking him, or eventually asked to follow him, his disciples, is that in so many ways, their characters were often quite like mine, quite like ours. It's quite refreshing to see it. So many times we see that the disciples were ambitious. 
They were argumentative. They were cowardly. They were critical. They were deceived. They were deserters. They were doubtful. They were dull. They were faithless. They were greedy. They misunderstood. They were prayerless. They were revengeful. They were unforgiving. They were unloving. I'm capable of most of that just in a day. But you know, these were people that Jesus appointed to minister in his name. They weren't yet mature, whole, or holy, and yet Jesus chose to commission them to send them out to tell people about him. Jesus wants to use us as we are, and we get the rough edges knocked off us as we go. We're changed as we go. So what happens next? Well, Jesus says to Simon, hey, shove your boat out. Let's go, let's leave the shore. Let's just push out a little bit. I know last night didn't quite work out, but let we, we just give it one more go. We give it another go. How about it? Imagine Jesus gets into your boat. Imagine that's you, and he gets into the boat. Jesus, the son of the living God, is in the boat, and he says, will you push out from shore just a little bit? Will you trust me? for this would would you do it he's not i don't think he's actually asking that much but he is based on their previous experience so when jesus approaches us often he starts with something really simple you could even miss it if you're not paying attention the the miracle wasn't pushing out the boat that was to come but they had to push out the boat to see the miracle would would we miss it just a little nudge in the right direction you see sometimes i journey towards Jesus begins with a time of crisis. It can begin with a time of failure. I wonder if that's how you come here this morning. Maybe a challenge with your health, maybe a challenge with your marriage, maybe the continual pain and heartache of being single, maybe it's your job, maybe it's an addiction, maybe you're struggling to overcome aggression or struggling with how you look or just constantly feeling not good enough or just some of the laws or pressures of peer groups that you're associated with. Some of you may have even come here this morning and you're like, I don't even know why I did come here this morning. Actually, I feel like I was dragged along or somebody tripped. Was it really going to be this? Nobody told me it was going to be this. What am I doing here? And maybe you're just tired of people saying like, oh, don't worry, you'll get through it. You know, it'll, it'll work out in the end. Or it came good in the person who's chatting with your life, but you just can't see that for your own life. Well, I, I want to encourage you, and I think we see it in this passage, that these are often the times where God works, and he works powerfully. Whatever it might be in our lives, whatever the circumstances that might lead us to that point of crisis, it's often in those times that God gets our attention. As we move away from self-reliance and we start to move into a place of relying on God, maybe actually it's totally the opposite for you. Maybe at this time in life, if you were just to benchmark it now, you'd say, actually, it's pretty good, actually. Things are going pretty well. But, you know, either way, Simon and the other guys, they recognized that, that something needed to change and they were willing to allow Jesus into the boat to do something about it. And I want to encourage you, regardless of your present situation or your circumstances, to be attentive. Are you willing to let Jesus into the boat, to just push that boat out a little bit when he nudges us? We're in the middle of a series that I've been doing on invitation we're invited to know jesus 
we're invited to know him, but also to show him and to share him with, with others. And the invitation really starts just by letting, letting him in. Are you willing to let him in? Let's not let our background, let's not let our preconceived ideas or our present difficulties or our past failures or our self-doubt or even our doubt of God or the opinion of others, whatever it might be, let's not let that be the thing that keeps us from Jesus. Now, it would be quite easy to let one or a number of those things get in the way. Simon was... was was maybe trying to safeguard himself from failure right at the start. Why am I going to do that again? Why, why would I try that again? It didn't work last time. After all, he's tried fishing all night. Why would you want to fail? Nobody wants to fail. How's he going to recover from that? It was hard enough last time, but to do it again. You know, in that small group, when I had the word about the shoulder, it would have been so easy to think, well, I'm never doing that again. That was just a bit embarrassing. What, what's the challenge for you? Is God asking you just to push the boat out a little from the shore this year? Maybe to let down your net again. Maybe to, to let him into the boat in the first place. For some of you, it's to get baptised. When we come to faith in Jesus, when we turn from our old ways, we get baptised. Would you give us the privilege of baptising you? Marking the moment in your journey, I think, is really powerful. Can I invite you to consider that? We're doing one, I think, we just mentioned it. It's on the 6th of October. But don't leave today without asking a question about that. When Simon lets Jesus into the boat, I, I kind of think, I might be wrong, but I think he might have been showing a bit of a heart-hearted, half-hearted, sorry, obedience. I, but I love how Jesus reacts to what he says. He doesn't chuck him overboard. I'm like, oh, you're not really in, are you? I've, I've seen it so many times in my own life. I kind of give it a go, sometimes a little bit reluctantly. And sometimes I make a bit of a hash of it. And yet somehow Jesus manages to take my simple longing to step out in obedience and does something quite remarkable. This, this is where obedience is key. Even though it makes no sense, if Simon had not obeyed, would they have caught the fish? Well, I guess Jesus could have done that another way. He could have just made the fish jump into the boat without him pushing the boat out. He could have done that. But I think what he longs to do is for us to be involved. And so the, the second thing I really want to talk about this morning is obedience. God longs for us to be obedient. That's <coughs> five. Because you say so. I'll let down the nets. Simon was probably thinking, well, naturally, no chance. I'm not going to do that again. I'm, I'm the fisherman. I'm the professional. I know what I'm doing. You're a carpenter. Nah. But because you say so, I'll give it a go. Simon's presented with this opportunity, a chance to choose God's best and a chance to live out God's fullest. What, what, what would you do for Jesus? I guess that's the test. How can you choose God's best at each opportunity that you're presented with? Because you say so. Because you say so. You know, actually, I'm tired of being the only one who tries with my family. But because you say so. Actually, I'm pretty shy and I've 
this hasn't worked out before. I don't really want to share my faith at work. It's not the easiest thing to do. But because you say so, we'll wait until I'm married to have sex. Well, the culture's moved on from that one. But because you say so, I'm busy. I, I don't really have time for community, for small group, for relating with others, for going on this journey of sharing life together. Ah, but because you say so. Dealing with an aggressive attitude is really hard work. But because you say so. I'm not going to fit in, actually, if I don't swear or gossip or get drunk. That's what everyone else is doing and my seasonal stage of life. But because you say so, I'll live differently. What what is what is it in your lives? What can you pull down now? What can you grab hold of? What do you feel the Father is speaking to you over? What if we're willing and obedient with it, if Jesus says so? Is he nudging you and prompting you in that? This invitation series is really based around just trying to awaken something in you, awaken the fullness of a relationship that you could have with Jesus, and also to share it. On the 13th of October, we're going to have this gathering just like this. And I can't think what we're calling it, but it's kind of around the idea of tri-church. I want to encourage you to ask somebody that you're in relationship with or not even in relationship with, someone you know, maybe somebody you don't know, to try church. We try and make all of these environments as accessible as possible, but especially so that week. Who, who could you invite? Who could you step out in faith and ask somebody? Simon and the others had been at it hard all night, working away, struggling for nothing. But as soon as Jesus got into the boat, everything changed. Simon's act of obedience was just to let the nets down again. It says verse 6 and 7, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and as they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Jesus asked Simon to push his boat into deeper water for a catch, and what was the result? An utterly unprecedented catch of fish in a location that seemed hopeless the night before. And it was caught at the powerful and the authority of the word of Jesus. What, what an amazing God we serve. The focus on the passage and the focus in the passage, it's not on the nets, it's not the size of the bait, it's not how long they'd fished for. The focus is on Jesus because the doing bit is really down to him. Sometimes I think we take the ownership, we take the responsibility but it's not on us, it's on him. They just had to be willing to let the net down again. Would you step out? Could I encourage you to step out and invite someone? It's not to say that obedience always comes easily. Being obedient often is a sacrifice. Sometimes it means facing criticism. It can be embarrassing. Regularly, it means laying down our own desires and preferences. But if he says so, Will we do it? Let me give you an example just <clears throat> in my own life. Before Steph and I got married, Steph was studying um, at Leeds Uni, which was miles away from where I was in Essex at the time. And one of the challenges that we faced while she was there was working out where I'd stay when I went to visit. Now, the easy option would have been to sleep on the floor in Steph's room 
but it, it's kind of got to be said that for her to resist me would have placed her under phenomenal pressure. So um, she's got eyes. So, I mean, but joking aside, um, we, we both wanted to be obedient to prioritizing purity and knew that sleeping in the same room was just not a wise thing to do. So we long not to compromise our own resolve and witness around us. Now, just to put this into wider context, I was working in the fire service at the time, and I honestly, I came under daily pressure, like not even daily, I came under like half hourly pressure from my colleagues in this particular area of my life. I was ridiculed. I was under immense pressure to compromise what I believe was God's best. Every conversation was sexualized. And so I contacted the local vineyard church um, up in, in Leeds. And uh, amazingly, this couple in the church offered me a, a room for a small fee. And I was kind of like, small fee? I'm just trying to do God's thing. What are you charging me for? And um, anyway, I went to visit this guy and he reminded me of my physics teacher, which was, it wasn't a good memory. And um, it was kind of like a force to be reckoned with. And I became increasingly nervous when this guy said he expected me to be in by nine o'clock each night. I'm like, really? And anyway, the icing on the cake was this guy lived 40 miles away, like the other side of the big hill, I can't think what it's called, but it's a big one, you'll know. Um, it, just, it just wasn't going to work. I, I could drive from Essex to Leeds quicker than I was going to in rush hour get back to this guy. So what, what are we going to choose? The right option or the easy option? So I started asking around. I was like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work. There must be another option. So I found a couple of student lads in the church that lived about three miles away. And they were like, oh, when you're up, you can sleep on the sofa. And I was like, yes, the Lord is providing. This is wonderful. And I popped around to visit it. And I've seen some amazing student accommodation in my time. And some really interesting accommodation. And um, this house was another level. They were using paper plates rather than washing up. And I'm like, that, I, kind of, I can work with that. That's okay. But to even take these paper plates to the bin was like a stretch too far. So it was quite a pile. And they've, they've showed me to my accommodation, which was the sofa in the living room. And no lie. Now, you're going to think I'm lying. You're going to think I'm exaggerating. And you're going to think this is a stretch from the truth. No lie. This rat ran behind the sofa. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Plan A was not going to work. Plan B was not great. What are we going to do? The right option or the easy option? I remember thinking as I drove away, I was deflated. I was like, God, you are having a laugh with me. I am trying to do the right thing. And I'm going to have to sleep on this sofa with a rat. Anyway, I was baffled. When, when we, we went back, I got back to where Steph stayed in this hall of residence and Everyone else is like, where have you been? What are you doing? And I'm telling them the lengths I'm going to sleep in a different room. And some of the lads in Steph's house were like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just sleep on my floor? And I spent the next three years, well, not three years, I spent the next year just moving around a different guy's house, staying up virtually all night talking about Jesus. It was amazing. The, the, the opportunity he gave me. Anyway, Steph came to second year. And um, when they were looking for a house, they found this house with six rooms in it. But unknown to me, there was an extra room that the landlord couldn't rent out because it was too small. You could literally just get a bed in it. And so I could have it for the rest of her time at uni. Now, I make it sound slightly better than it was. There was, like, there was no light, no windows, just this little hole at the top. And in the morning, this little bird used to come in and pay me a visit. 
But it, it was amazing. It was a provision. I didn't even have to pay for it. It was phenomenal. Now, why, why do I tell you all of that? Well, we wanted to be obedient, but it wasn't practical. It definitely wasn't the easier option, and it didn't really make sense to anybody around us. But we wanted to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And I hope, I dearly hope, we would have done that regardless of whether or not the easy option eventually showed up. I think it's important to say what I'm not saying is I always get it right. What I'm not saying is we always make the right judgment in every area of our life. Of course we make mistakes. But what I am saying is Jesus invites us to be obedient. He longs for us to be obedient. The, the, the third and the final thing I wanted to say this morning is God changes us as we respond. Verse 8 to 10 says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, great name, Simon's partners. You know, when we see Jesus, our lives are changed. When we respond to him, our lives are transformed. I long to fall on my knees before Jesus and just have this heart cry of change me, change me, change me, change me. Make me more like you. You know, in the case of Simon, he falls to his knees and he's like, go away from me, Lord. Go, oh, I'm a sinful man. I, I find that really refreshing. I've had times in my own life where I feel like I've met with the Lord. I've spent time in his presence and He's answered my prayers in amazing ways and I suddenly realize I'm just too human. I am just too normal. I am too unbelieving. Even this last week, I just had a, a moment where I felt like that happened to me. I, I just, oh, this is almost too much. Father, you come into the realization of just who you are and how desperately you need him and his presence. I feel like some of this actually is even landing on us as a church, we've been awakened to the fullness of what he has for us. And in that moment, sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not like a, it's not always a shame thing. It's more of a realization of the holiness of the presence of God. Paul finds a similar thing in Romans 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. He will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers, delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's kind of what I said right at the start about in Romans 5. It's like the, the love of God. He chose you before you chose him. Nothing can separate. If you've come with that sense of condemnation or doubt or separation this morning, doesn't need to be the case. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus. Simon and Paul both share the same conclusion. The answer is Jesus coming to him humbly, brokenhearted, and then allowing him to restore us it happened that night in that small group with those young people I was blown away by it I'd kind of boxed God in to only work in a certain way ways that I could understand ways that I could explain ways that made sense and my eyes were opened to a fresh sense of who he really was and my response was nothing really but to fall on my knees before him afresh Simon knows he's a sinner. He knows he's not worthy to experience the benefit of God's power and his presence. But as he encounters Jesus, his response was, and I hope ours would be the same, is to fall on his knees, longing for forgiveness and to be changed more into the likeness of Jesus. I, 
Honestly, I, I, I think we've got to be careful here, though. I think there's a helpful warning in this passage. Don't be tempted to turn your back on Jesus because you think you're so unworthy. Have you ever felt that? At times you can just feel, I'm so unworthy. I don't deserve it. I, what's the point trying? I'm such a failure, such a wreck in my life. I just keep consistently falling short of what I think he's got for me. And I, I saw that in my dad's life. He made so many mistakes, and as a result, he turns his back on God. He distanced himself from him. He knew God, but he chose to deny him countless times. He had moments and opportunities where his eyes were opened afresh, but such was his guilt and his shame that he couldn't handle it. God can't forgive me because of this. He couldn't bring himself to turn back to God. He spent his whole life just saying, I've gone too far, it's too late. God can't forgive me, I've messed it up. And almost like Simon said in verse 8, it's like this, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, thankfully, I think some of you know the story. As a broken, wretched, dying man, he did, in his end, fall on his knees before Jesus. But, but Jesus can forgive you. Honestly, are you, if you're willing to let go, if you're willing to acknowledge your need of him. In this passage, Jesus met the fishermen in their failure and he restored them and offered them a new way of living. Something else that's really powerful in this passage that we could quite easily miss if we skimmed over it is initially Simon calls Jesus master he says verse 5 master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but then in verse 8 he falls to his knees before him and he says go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man you know seeing and acknowledging Jesus for who he really is changes everything he's no longer your master he refers to him as Lord the one who Simon is willing to drop everything for and follow. I, I believe that when we truly realize who he is and all that he calls us to, the faith to follow him comes far more easily. You know, in verse 10 and 11, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. From now on, he says, You'll fish for people. Well, that's, that's a career change and a half. But Jesus transforms lives. As we respond to him, we're changed. What's next, as he calls him to follow him, I, I believe that the change goes beyond ourselves. It's not just that we're changed, it's that others are changed as we're changed, and that overflow goes to those around us. As we're changed, we're called to make a change. Jesus, so just as the disciples are called to follow Jesus, they were then called to fish for people. Now, I know many of you will know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, but I just thought I'd clear it up for you. Um, a, a thermometer measures the temperature and a thermostat changes it. I was reminded of this when Steph and I, we had central heating fitted in this place we lived in down south. Prior to having it, we, we settled for this tiny little oil field radiator thing. And during the winter months, I had to set the timer at 3 a.m. so that by about 7-ish, we could get up and at least put an arm out of the duvet without frostbite. And so if, if you dare poke a toe out, you, your toe would just fall off in the middle of the night. That's an exaggeration. The rat thing was true. That's not true. <laughs> but um, it was, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, it was just so cold. So anyway, we've, we've saved up a bit of money and 
we eventually could afford central heating. Now, this super-duper piece of modern technology that many of us take for granted came with a thermostat. Now, surely central heating will be more efficient than this tiny little oil-filled radiator. So rather than set it for 3 a.m. like we used to, I thought I'd set it for 5 a.m. and it would be surely warm by about 7-ish. Now, never had the luxury of being able to control heating. I pondered what temperature to set it to. So I set it to 35. And um, I, I literally, I set it to come on at five, about 20 past five. I woke up feeling like I'd swallowed a sandpit. You know when you're like, what is going on in here? Uh, it's like been in the Caribbean. Now, we are roasting. So we adopted the emergency house evacuation procedure, which is basically Steph stood at the back door and I'm at the front door and we're just wafting air into the house thinking we're not going to be able to cope. But what, what massive lesson. But what, what I wanted to say was this. You know, in life, I believe we're not just supposed to be a thermometer that measures the temperature of the environment. We're supposed to be a thermostat that affects it and changes it and alters it. I believe that we're called to alter and adjust the temperature of the environment around us. One example would be, and to link to what I told you earlier, when Steph was at uni, we didn't go around judging people. But you're sleeping in the same room? Oof. What the Lord say about that? You know, it's not supposed to be like that. Even if you come here this morning and from what I've said, you feel a degree of condemnation. That's not, that's not what I want you to hear. It's the same with so many situations and circumstances we face now. We're supposed to be in these places to adjust the temperature, to make a difference, to live differently, to allow people around us to see Jesus through our attitude, our actions, our behaviours, to adjust the temperature. It's as a result of us being in them, those environments that the temperature is changed and that others are changed through that as they see something of the presence of God. I long to be somebody that passionately lives for Jesus, that alters the temperature around me. I, I, I don't want to just go along with a flow. I'm not just going to swear because everyone else is swearing. I'm not just going to gossip because that's how I fit in and it makes it easier. Put other people down because it makes you feel a bit fluffed up. Bully the person that everybody else is bullying. As we respond to Jesus, the invitation is to obedience. And as we're obedient, we begin to change. I, we often say it in these environments. I just wanted to say it again. Come as you are. Honestly, come here as you are. But we don't stay as we are because as we, as we encounter Jesus, we're, we're changed. And you're invited into that place. You're invited to be part of that environment. But I want to encourage many of you, you're invited to invite others into it. Sometimes it's really helpful just to have a moment and a marker and say, well, on the 13th of October, step out, invite somebody else in. Let me, let me just recap some of what I tried to share with you. You know, God can work through times of potential failure of crisis. What might otherwise seem like failure and crisis with Jesus is often just an opportunity. If that's how you come here this morning, it may be an opportunity for breakthrough right now in your lives. Whatever it might be, whatever the circumstance that leads you to that place, God can get our attention as we move from self-reliance to dependency on God. Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to give our lives to his words, to his life? Or do we hand over our thoughts and our actions and surrender them 
to Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to produce a pattern of living that's pleasing to him. Are we willing to listen and learn? Obedience is really key because you say so. Father, because you say so, I'll let down the net. And then finally, we're changed. We're changed as we respond to him. When we see Jesus, our lives are changed and the results is, is abundantly more than we could have foreseen, expected, or even imagined. Why don't we stand together? If, if you've not been here before, what we're going to do is just spend the next few moments just resting in the presence. That could be quite a strange thing for me to say. And if you've been here a while, I think sometimes we can become complacent with it. And is it an emotion? Well, it can be an emotion. Is it a feeling? It can be. Is it an experience? It can be. But I think it's, it's more than that. He embeds something in our souls as we express our love and worship to him and and I was just reminded I think it's in in the book of Romans in in chapter 5 it says while we were still sinners Christ died for us he chose you before you chose him regardless of anything that you might feel separates you or is a blockage or a barrier or well I'm not worthy I I can't I shouldn't I won't none of that counts when it comes to the love of God so whether you felt it or not whether you feel you experienced it or not I just wanted to make us aware afresh of the love of God is the most transformative thing we could know or experience and I, I, I pray that would rest on you today I pray that you would have an awareness of it even if you don't feel it if you, if you don't sense it that it would transform your mind and embed into your soul. And I, I, yeah, I couldn't not say that, but I wanted to start this morning just by telling you a little story of something that happened to me quite a few years ago now. I was, I was in a small group. I think Abby just a moment ago mentioned small groups. We love small groups, getting into smaller groups of people and spending time uh, sharing relationship together. And towards the end of the evening, I had this intense heat in my, in my left shoulder. And uh, at the same time that I felt that intense heat, I was just getting these words rotating around my mind of like a, a torn muscle in two years. And I kind of wondered, is God speaking to me for someone else in the room through that happening? And um, I started to feel quite nervous about that. Am I going to share that with a group? Is this just me imagining it? Is it just one of those things? What's going on? Am I just getting like this isolated hot flush in, in my shoulder? And that's weird. I don't really get that kind of thing. And then as I'm thinking about it, I'm getting a hot flush that I don't even have because now I'm, like, I'm going to share it with the room. Should I? Shouldn't I? And all of this. And um, now it's kind of obvious something's going on because I'm panicking and everyone's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? They can't see what's going on in, in my mind. And, and then I shared it with a group, which felt great because it's like I've got it out. And then you have that moment where you're like, oh, no, everyone's looking around. Is that person now in the room? Have I just said something really random? Is this going to fall flat on its face? And they're probably less bothered because they didn't share it. I'm more bothered because I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to look a bit of a wally here. And uh, no one responds. Everyone looked at me a bit awkwardly. I felt a bit awkwardly and we moved on. And the next night I was leading a youth small group. And I was telling them the story of what happened, exactly how it happened. My shoulder, the hot flush thing, isolated with everything, the hot flush, share it. And um, then I shared that basically I nearly bottled it because of all of that. And then I wish I had bottled it because nothing happened and I just looked a bit of a wally. 
And here I am explaining it to this youth group, explaining that, you know, even though I got it wrong, it's about obedience and stepping out. And I just wanted to do what I felt the Lord was saying, even though nothing really happened. And halfway through the story, one of the girls puts her hand up like this. And it's kind of like, oh, you can go to the toilet on your own. We're not in a like, uh, four plus. And anyway, she's like really waving her hand. And I'm like, this is a little bit odd. Like, I'm sharing a story. Do I stop and be interrupted? It's not the time for questions. Anyway, in, in the end, she adopts this different tactic. She's like, I'm not waiting for you. I'm just blurting it out. And um, she's like, that's me. That's me. That's me. And I'm like, what's you? She's like, that's me. Torn shoulder, two years, and as I shared it, she was healed instantly. As I've told the story, she's like, pain gone, I've had it for two years, constantly. Now, you know what young people are like? They're, oh gosh, the evening changed. They're like clapping and chest bumping and high-fiving, and it is all going on. And I'm just sat there like, what? I shared that last night. What on earth has just happened? And we started talking that evening about stepping out in faith regardless of the outcome and we ended the evening with an increased increased expectancy for what God might do among us, how he moves in incredible power regardless of anything we could possibly foresee or even imagine. And I want to look at a passage with you this morning that bears some similarities to that story. There are moments in the story where, where things really just seem to be going wrong. There are moments where they have the opportunity just to trust God and to act obediently and to believe what he's saying. And there's a moment where God does something way beyond anything they even thought possible. Before I jump in, though, I I kind of also just wanted to say that week after week, here and in other settings just like this, I see the presence of God trying to break in. I think many of you do. The presence of God is trying to break in and what often happens particularly on a Sunday is someone will email me the following week and say something was shared I felt the spirit of God I felt or sensed him saying something but I just I I didn't want to respond I didn't know whether it was me and honestly I, I just want to encourage you to respond because often the father breaks in in ways we can't even foresee and often the thing that even grabs our attention that may not be the thing but the Lord might want to do something else. And so I just want to encourage us, respond to the presence of God. But before I, I digress with, with going down that track, let's just have a quick look. I want to read the passage in, in Luke chapter 5 and start in verse 1. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to follow along. If not, I'm, I'm going to read it out. But it says this in, in Luke chapter 5. One day as the disciples were preaching on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing but if you say so I will let down the nets again and this time the nets were so full of fish that they began to tear and a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking when Simon Peter realized what had happened 
he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What's, what's just happened in, in the passage? Well, Jesus has been teaching in the local area and this huge number of people have started to follow him. We see that the crowds are following him and to give himself a bit of space so that people can get to him and hear him and, and see him, Jesus jumps into a boat that belonged to these fishermen and Simon and a few of the others have just returned from fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And after Jesus is finished speaking to the crowds, he tells Simon, hey, cast, cast out your nets, let's go fishing again. And this time they catch so many fish that the boat begins to sink. And there's a few things I want to draw from that passage and a few things I think we could learn from it together this morning. And th these are the three, so you know where I'm going. God can work through times of failure and crisis in our lives. That's the first one. The second one is God longs for us to be obedient. And the third one is we're changed when we respond. So, so firstly, I believe God can work through times of failure and potential crisis. Verse five, it says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Jesus gets into the boats, into the boat with these guys at this time of potential failure and crisis. A fisherman's life depended on fishing. They've been hard at it all night and they haven't caught anything. Personally, I think they've done well to try it all night. I've tried stuff like that. I tried night fishing with my dad, and we gave up after about 20 minutes because we couldn't see anything. But these guys, they know what they're doing. They're like professional fishermen. They knew that nighttime was the best time to go fishing. However, I think there's a point, well, maybe I'm reading into this and reflecting and projecting my own thoughts, but I, I think they would have been really tired. When I'm tired and stayed up all night, I get a bit grumpy. So they've just put in the night shift. They've tried really hard all night and they've got no return. I, I guess with all of us, I know I've had times like that in my life. Productivity is just in the negative. Stuff is not happening in the way you thought. And Jesus says to Simon, he says, hey, put out into deep water. Let down your nets for a fish. Now, what, what do you think Simon's reaction would have been? I think my response would have been like, what? What are you on about? Why on earth would we do that? I, I think I'd be a bit irritated, a bit put out. Master, we've worked hard all night. Why are we going to do that again? I'd, I'd have been thinking something along the lines of, hey, listen, Jesus, we're fishermen. We've always been fishermen. We always will be fishermen. With due respect, you're a carpenter. We know what we're doing. We deal with fish. You deal with wood. We're tired. What's five minutes in the daylight going to do? What's the point in giving it another go? And I know I'm reading a bit into the text. It doesn't say that. But I think there would have been a reluctance. I don't think it would have been a natural response. I don't think they would have just been bubbling over with faith. Hey, Jesus is going to do something we didn't foresee. Let's give it a go. I don't think that was going on. I think they would have been coming up with excuses left, right and centre. And so Jesus says, hey, 
go into deeper water, put you down your nets for a catch. And it, this response just pops out of his mouth. Master, we've, we've worked hard all night. We've worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing. Why would we do that? Basically, he's like, well, we didn't catch anything then, so why are we going to now? Would you kind of give it a rest? I'm tired. This is my sleeping time. Then he realizes there's a crowd on the shore staring at him. And he's like, oh, did I say that out loud? Again, I'm reading into the text. He doesn't actually say that. But don't, don't you think it's quite refreshing that that was their response? Because that's often my response where the Lord is trying to do something and I'm kind of not quite on board or realizing it. What I love about these guys, <coughs> the guys that Jesus is asking him or eventually asked to follow him, his disciples, is that in so many ways their characters were often quite like mine quite like ours it's quite refreshing to see it so many times we see that the disciples were ambitious they were argumentative they were cowardly they were critical they were deceived they were deserters they were doubtful they were dull they were faithless they were greedy they misunderstood they were prayerless they were revengeful they were unforgiving they were unloving i'm capable of most of that just in a day but you know these were people that Jesus appointed to minister in his name. They weren't yet mature, whole, or holy, and yet Jesus chose to commission them to send them out to tell people about him. Jesus wants to use us as we are, and we get the rough edges knocked off us as we go. We're changed as we go. So what happens next? Well, Jesus says to Simon, hey, shove your boat out. Let's go, let's leave the shore. Let's just push out a little bit. I know last night didn't quite work out, but let we, we just give it one more go. We give it another go. How about it? Imagine Jesus gets into your boat. Imagine that's you, and he gets into the boat. Jesus, the son of the living God, is in the boat, and he says, will you push out from shore just a little bit? Will you trust me? For this would would you do it he's not i don't think he's actually asking that much but he is based on their previous experience so when jesus approaches us often he starts with something really simple you could even miss it if you're not paying attention the, the miracle wasn't pushing out the boat that was to come but they had to push out the boat to see the miracle would, would we miss it just a little nudge in the right direction you see sometimes i journey towards Jesus begins with a time of crisis. It can begin with a time of failure. I wonder if that's how you come here this morning. Maybe a challenge with your health, maybe a challenge with your marriage, maybe the continual pain and heartache of being single, maybe it's your job, maybe it's an addiction, maybe you're struggling to overcome aggression or struggling with how you look or just constantly feeling not good enough or just some of the laws or pressures of peer groups that you're associated with. I, some of you may have even come here this morning and you're like, I don't even know why I did come here this morning. Actually, I feel like I was dragged along or somebody tripped. Was it really going to be this? Nobody told me it was going to be this. What am I doing here? And maybe you're just tired of people saying like oh don't worry you'll get through it you know it'll, it'll work out in the end or it came good in the person who's chatting with your life but you just can't see that for your own life well i, I want to encourage you and i think we see it 
in this passage that these are often the times where God works and he works powerfully. Whatever it might be in our lives, whatever the circumstances that might lead us to that point of crisis, it's often in those times that God gets our attention. As we move away from self-reliance and we start to move into a place of relying on God, maybe actually it's totally the opposite for you. Maybe at this time in life, if you were just to benchmark it now, you'd say, actually, it's pretty good, actually. Things are going pretty well. But, you know, either way, Simon and the other guys, they recognized that, that something needed to change and they were willing to allow Jesus into the boat to do something about it. And I want to encourage you, regardless of your present situation or your circumstances, to be attentive. Are you willing to let Jesus into the boat, to just push that boat out a little bit when he nudges us. We're in the middle of a series that I've been doing on invitation. We're invited to know Jesus. We're invited to know him, but also to show him and to share him with, with others. And the invitation really starts just by letting, letting him in. Are you willing to let him in? Let's not let our background, let's not let our preconceived ideas or our present difficulties or our past failures or our self-doubt or even our doubt of God or the opinion of others, whatever it might be, let's not let that be the thing that keeps us from Jesus. Now, it would be quite easy to let one or a number of those things get in the way. Simon was, was was maybe trying to safeguard himself from failure right at the start. Why am I going to do that again? Why, why would I try that again? It didn't work last time. After all, he's tried fishing all night. Why would you want to fail? Nobody wants to fail. How's he going to recover from that? It was hard enough last time, but to do it again. You know, in that small group, when I had the word about the shoulder, it would have been so easy to think, well, I'm never doing that again. That was just a bit embarrassing. What, what's the challenge for you? Is God asking you just to push the boat out a little from the shore this year? Maybe to let down your net again. Maybe to, to let him into the boat in the first place. For some of you, it's to get baptised. When we come to faith in Jesus, when we turn from our old ways, we get baptised. Would you give us the privilege of baptising you? Marking the moment in your journey, I think, is really powerful. Can I invite you to consider that? We're doing one, I think, we just mentioned it. It's on the 6th of October. But don't leave today without asking a question about that. When Simon lets Jesus into the boat, I, I kind of think, I might be wrong, but I think he might have been showing a bit of a half-hearted half -hearted, sorry, obedience. I, but I love how Jesus reacts to what he says. He doesn't chuck him overboard. I'm like, oh, you're not really in, are you? I've, I've seen it so many times in my own life. I kind of give it a go, sometimes a little bit reluctantly. And sometimes I make a bit of a hash of it. And yet somehow Jesus manages to take my simple longing to step out in obedience and does something quite remarkable. This, this is where obedience is key. Even though it makes no sense, if Simon had not obeyed, would they have caught the fish? Well, I guess Jesus could have done it another way. He could have just made the fish jump into the boat without him pushing the boat out. He could have done that. But I think what he longs to do is for us to be involved. And so the, the second thing I really want to talk about this morning 
is obedience. God longs for us to be obedient. Verse 5, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Simon was probably thinking, well, naturally, no chance. I'm not going to do that again. I'm, I'm the fisherman. I'm the professional. I know what I'm doing. You're a carpenter. Nah. But because you say so, I'll give it a go. Simon's presented with this opportunity, a chance to choose God's best and a chance to live out God's fullest. What, what, what would you do for Jesus? I guess that's the test. How can you choose God's best at each opportunity that you're presented with? Because you say so. Because you say so. You know, actually, I'm tired of being the only one who tries with my family. But because you say so. Actually, I'm pretty shy and I've, this hasn't worked out before. I don't really want to share my faith at work. It's not the easiest thing to do. But because you say so. We'll wait until I'm married to have sex. Well, the culture's moved on from that one. But because you say so. I'm busy. I, I don't really have time for community, for small groups, for relating with others, for going on this journey of sharing life together. Ah, but because you say so. Dealing with an aggressive attitude is really hard work. But because you say so. I'm not going to fit in, actually, if I don't swear or gossip or get drunk. That's what everyone else is doing in my seasonal stage of life. But because you say so, I'll live differently. What, what, is, what is it in your lives? What can you pull down now? What can you grab hold of? What do you feel the Father is speaking to you over? What if we're willing and obedient with it, if Jesus says so? Is he nudging you and prompting you in that? This invitation series is really based around just trying to awaken something in you, awaken the fullness of a relationship that you could have with Jesus and also to share it. On the 13th of October, we're going to have this gathering just like this. And I can't think what we're calling it, but it's kind of around the idea of try church. I want to encourage you to ask somebody that you're in relationship with or not even in relationship with, someone you know, maybe somebody you don't know, to try church. We try and make all of these environments as accessible as possible, but especially so that week. Who, who could you invite? Who could you step out in faith and ask somebody? Simon and the others had been at it hard all night, working away, struggling for nothing. But as soon as Jesus got into the boat, everything changed. Simon's act of obedience was just to let the nets down again it says verse six and seven when they'd done so they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and as they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink jesus asked simon to push his boat into deeper water for a catch and what was the result an utterly unprecedented catch of fish in a location that seemed hopeless the night before and it was caught at the powerful and the authority of the word of Jesus what what an amazing God we serve the focus on the passage and the focus in the passage it's not on the nets it's not the size of the bait it's not how long they'd fish for the focus is on Jesus because the doing bit is really down to him. Sometimes I think we take the ownership, we take the responsibility. 
but it's not on us, it's on him. They just had to be willing to let the net down again. Would you step out? Could I encourage you to step out and invite someone? It's not to say that obedience always comes easily. Being obedient often is a sacrifice. Sometimes it means facing criticism. It can be embarrassing. Regularly, it means laying down our own desires and preferences. But if he says so, will we do it? Let me give you an example just in my own life. Before Steph and I got married, Steph was studying um, at Lee Juni, which was miles away from where I was in Essex at the time. And one of the challenges that we faced while she was there was working out where I'd stay when I went to visit. Now, the easy option would have been to sleep on the floor in Steph's room. But it, it's kind of got to be said that for her to resist me would have placed her under phenomenal pressure. So um, she's got eyes. So, I mean, but joking aside, um, we, we both wanted to be obedient to prioritizing purity and knew that sleeping in the same room was just not a wise thing to do. So we long not to compromise our own resolve and witness around us. Now, just to put this into wider context, I was working in the fire service at the time, and I honestly, I came under daily pressure, like not even daily, I came under like half hourly pressure from my colleagues in this particular area of my life. I was ridiculed. I was under immense pressure to compromise what I believe was God's best. Every conversation was sexualized. And so I contacted the local vineyard church um, up in, in Leeds. And uh, amazingly, this couple in the church offered me a, a room for a small fee. And I was kind of like, small fee? I'm just trying to do God's thing. What are you charging me for? And um, anyway, I went to visit this guy and he reminded me of my physics teacher, which was, it wasn't a good memory. And um, it, it was kind of like a force to be reckoned with. And I became increasingly nervous when this guy said he expected me to be in by nine o'clock each night. I'm like, really? And anyway, the icing on the cake was this guy lived 40 miles away, like the other side of the big hill, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a big one, you'll know. Um, it, just, it just wasn't going to work. I, I could drive from Essex to Leeds quicker than I was going to in Russia or get back to this guy. So what, what are we going to choose? The right option or the easy option? So I started asking around. I was like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work. There must be another option. So I found a couple of student lads in the church that lived about three miles away. And they were like, oh, when you're up, you can sleep on the sofa. And I was like, yes, the Lord is providing. This is wonderful. And I popped around to visit it. And I've seen some amazing student accommodation in my time. <laughs> and some really interesting accommodation. And um, this house was another level. They were using paper plates rather than washing up. And I'm like, that, I, kind of, I can work with that. That's okay. But to even take these paper plates to the bin was like a stretch too far. So it was quite a pile. And they've, they've showed me to my accommodation, which was the sofa in the living room. And no lie. Now, you're going to think I'm lying. You're going to think I'm exaggerating. And you're going to think this is a stretch from the truth. No lie. This rat ran behind the sofa. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Plan A was not going to work. Plan B was not great. What are we going to do? The right option or the easy option? I remember thinking as I drove away, I was deflated. I was like, God, you are having a laugh with me. I am trying to do the right thing. And I'm going to have to sleep on this sofa with a rat. 
anyway, I was baffled. When, when we, we went back, I got back to where Steph stayed in this hall of residence and everyone else is like, where have you been? What are you doing? And I'm telling them the lengths I'm going to sleep in a different room. And some of the lads in Steph's house were like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just sleep on my floor? And I spent the next three years, well, not three years, I spent the next year just moving around a different guy's house, staying up virtually all night talking about Jesus. It was amazing. The, the, the opportunity he gave me. Anyway, Steph came to second year, and um, when they were looking for a house, they found this house with six rooms in it, but unknown to me, there was an extra room that the landlord couldn't rent out because it was too small. You could literally just get a bed in it. And so I could have it for the rest of her time at uni. Now, I make it sound slightly better than it was. There was like, there was no light, no windows, just this little hole at the top. And in the morning, this little bird used to come in and pay me a visit. But it was amazing. It was a provision. I didn't even have to pay for it. It was phenomenal. Now, why, why do I tell you all of that? Well, we wanted to be obedient, but it wasn't practical. It definitely wasn't the easier option, and it didn't really make sense to anybody around us. But we wanted to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And I hope, I dearly hope, we would have done that regardless of whether or not the easy option eventually showed up. I think it's important to say what I'm not saying is I always get it right. What I'm not saying is we always make the right judgment in every area of our life. Of course we make mistakes. But what I am saying is Jesus invites us to be obedient. He longs for us to be obedient. The, the, the third and the final thing I wanted to say this morning is God changes us as we respond. Verse 8 to 10 says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, great name, Simon's partners. You know, when we see Jesus, our lives are changed. When we respond to him, our lives are transformed. I long to fall on my knees before Jesus and just have this heart cry of change me, change me, change me, change me. Make me more like you. You know, in the case of Simon, he falls to his knees and he's like, go away from me, Lord. Go, oh, I'm a sinful man. I, I find that really refreshing. I've had times in my own life where I feel like I've met with the Lord. I've spent time in his presence and he's answered my prayers in amazing ways. And I suddenly realize I'm just too human. I am just too normal. I am too unbelieving. Even this last week, I just had a, a moment where I felt like that happened to me. I, I just, oh, this is almost too much. Father, you come into the realization of just who you are and how desperately you need him and his presence. I feel like some of this actually is even landing on us as a church. We've been awakened to the fullness of what he has for us. And in that moment, sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not like a, it's not always a shame thing. It's more of a realization of the holiness of the presence of God. Paul finds a similar thing in Romans 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. He will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers, delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's kind of what I said right at the start about in Romans 5. It's like the, the love of God. He chose you before you chose him. 
nothing can separate. If you've come with that sense of condemnation or doubt or separation this morning, doesn't need to be the case. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus. Simon and Paul both share the same conclusion. The answer is Jesus coming to him humbly, brokenhearted, and allowing him to restore us. It happened that night in that small group with those young people. I was blown away by it. I'd kind of boxed God in to only working in a certain way, ways that I could understand, ways that I could explain, ways that made sense. And my eyes were opened to a fresh sense of who he really was and my response was nothing really but to fall on my knees before him afresh Simon knows he's a sinner he knows he's not worthy to experience the benefit of God's power and his presence but as he encounters Jesus his response was and I hope ours would be the same it's to fall on his knees longing for forgiveness and to be changed more into the likeness of Jesus I Honestly, I I think we've got to be careful here, though. I think there's a helpful warning in this passage. Don't be tempted to turn your back on Jesus because you think you're so unworthy. Have you ever felt that? At times you can just feel, I'm so unworthy. I don't deserve it. What's the point trying? I'm such a failure, such a wreck in my life. I just keep consistently falling short of what I think he's got for me. And I saw that in my dad's life. He made so many mistakes and as a result he turns his back on God. He distanced himself from him. He knew God but he chose to deny him countless times. He had moments and opportunities where his eyes were opened afresh but such was his guilt and his shame that he couldn't handle it. God can't forgive me because of this. He couldn't bring himself to turn back to God he spent his whole life just saying I've gone too far it's too late God can't forgive me I've messed it up and almost like Simon said in verse 8 it's like this go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man you know thankfully I think some of you know the story as a broken wretched dying man he did in his end fall on his knees before Jesus but Jesus can forgive you honestly if you're willing to let go if you're willing to acknowledge your need of him In this passage, Jesus met the fishermen in their failure and he restored them and offered them a new way of living. Something else that's really powerful in this passage that we could quite easily miss if we skimmed over it is initially Simon calls Jesus master. He says, verse 5, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But then in verse 8, he falls to his knees before him and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, seeing and acknowledging Jesus for who he really is changes everything. He's no longer your master. He refers to him as Lord, the one who Simon is willing to drop everything for and follow. I I believe that when we truly realize who he is and all that he calls us to, the faith to follow him comes far more easily. You know, in verse 10 and 11, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. From now on, he says, you'll fish for people. Well, that's, that's a career change and a half. But Jesus transforms lives. As we respond to him, we're changed. What's next, as he calls him to follow him, I, I believe that the change goes beyond ourselves. It's not just that we're changed, it's that others are changed as we're changed and that overflow goes 
to those around us. As we're changed, we're called to make a change. Jesus, so just as the disciples are called to follow Jesus, they were then called to fish for people. Now, I know many of you will know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, but I just thought I'd clear it up for you. Um, a, a thermometer measures the temperature and a thermostat changes it. I was reminded of this when Steph and I, we had central heating fitted in this place we lived in down south. Prior to having it, we, we settled for this tiny little oil field radiator thing. And during the winter months, I had to set the timer at 3 a.m. so that by about 7-ish, we could get up and at least put an arm out of the duvet without frostbite. And so if, if you dare poke a toe out, you, your toe would just fall off in the middle of the night. That's an exaggeration. The rat thing was true. That's not true. <laughs> but um, it was, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, it was just so cold. So anyway, we've, we've saved up a bit of money and we eventually could afford central heating. Now, this super-duper piece of modern technology that many of us take for granted came with a thermostat. Now, surely central heating will be more efficient than this tiny little oil-filled radiator. So rather than set it for 3 a.m. like we used to, I thought I'd set it for 5 a.m. and it'll be surely warm by about 7-ish. Now, never had the luxury of being able to control heating. I pondered what temperature to set it to. So I set it to 35. And um, I, I literally, I set it to come on at five, about 20 past five. I woke up feeling like I'd swallowed a sandpit. You know when you're like, what is going on in here? Uh, it's like been in the Caribbean. Now, we are roasting. So we adopted the emergency house evacuation procedure, which is basically Steph stood at the back door and I'm at the front door and we're just wafting air into the house thinking we're not going to be able to cope. But what, what massive lesson. But what, what I wanted to say was this. You know, in life, I believe we're not just supposed to be a thermometer that measures the temperature of the environment. We're supposed to be a thermostat that affects it and changes it and alters it. I believe that we're called to alter and adjust the temperature of the environment around us. One example would be, and to link to what I told you earlier, when Steph was at uni, we didn't go around judging people. But you're sleeping in the same room? Oof, what did the Lord say about that? You know, it's not supposed to be like that. Even if you come here this morning and from what I've said, you feel a degree of condemnation, that's not... That's not what I want you to hear. It's the same with so many situations and circumstances we face now. We're supposed to be in these places to adjust the temperature, to make a difference, to live differently, to allow people around us to see Jesus through our attitude, our actions, our behaviours, to adjust the temperature. It's as a result of us being in them, those environments that the temperature is changed and that others are changed through that as they see something of the presence of God. I long to be somebody that passionately lives for Jesus, that alters the temperature around me. I, I, I don't want to just go along with a flow. I'm not just going to swear because everyone else is swearing. I'm not just going to gossip because that's how I fit in and it makes it easier. Put other people down because it makes you feel a bit fluffed up bully the person that everybody else is bullying. As we respond to Jesus, the invitation is to obedience. And as we're obedient, we begin to change. I, we often say it in these environments. I just wanted to say it again. Come as you are. Honestly, come here as you are. 
but we don't stay as we are because as we, as we encounter Jesus, we're, we're changed. And you're invited into that place. You're invited to be part of that environment. But I want to encourage many of you, you're invited to invite others into it. Sometimes it's really helpful just to have a moment and a marker and say, well, on the 13th of October, step out, invite somebody else in. Let me, let me just recap some of what I tried to share with you. You know, God can work through times of potential failure of crisis. What might otherwise seem like failure and crisis with Jesus is often just an opportunity. If that's how you come here this morning, it may be an opportunity for breakthrough right now in your lives, whatever it might be, whatever the circumstance that leads you to that place. God can get our attention as we move from self-reliance to dependency on God. Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to give our lives to his words, to his life? Or do we hand over our thoughts and our actions and surrender them to Jesus? The Holy Spirit working in us and through us to produce a pattern of living that's pleasing to him. Are we willing to listen and learn? Obedience is really key because you say so. Father, because you say so, I'll let down the net. And then finally, we're changed. We're changed as we respond to him. When we see Jesus, our lives are changed and the results is, is abundantly more than we could have foreseen, expected, or even imagined. Why don't we stand together? <coughs> if, if you've not been here before, what we're going to do is just spend the next few moments just resting in the presence. That, could be quite a strange thing for me to say and if you've been here a while I think sometimes we can become complacent with it and is it an emotion well it can be an emotion is it a feeling it can be is it an experience it can be but I think it's it's more than that you embed something in our souls as we express our love and worship to him and and I was just reminded I think it's in in the book of Romans in in chapter 5 it says while we were still sinners Christ died for us. He chose you before you chose him. Regardless of anything that you might feel separates you or is a blockage or a barrier or, well, I'm not worthy. I, I can't, I shouldn't, I won't. None of that counts when it comes to the love of God. So whether you felt it or not, whether you feel you experienced it or not, I just wanted to make us aware afresh of the love of God is the most transformative thing we could know or experience. And I, I, I pray that would rest on you today. I pray that you would have an awareness of it, even if you don't feel it, if you, if you don't sense it, that it would transform your mind and embed into your soul. And I, I, yeah, I couldn't not say that, but I wanted to start this morning just by telling you a little story of something that happened to me quite a few years ago now. I was, I was in a small group. I think Abby just a moment ago mentioned small groups. We love small groups, getting into smaller groups of people and spending time uh, sharing relationship together, and towards the end of the evening, I had this intense heat in my in my left shoulder, and uh, at the same time that I felt that intense heat, I was just getting these words rotating around my mind of like a, a torn muscle in two years, and I kind of wondered, is God speaking to me for someone else in the room through that happening? 
And um, I started to feel quite nervous about that. Am I going to share that with a group? Is this just me imagining it? Is it just one of those things? What's going on? Am I just getting like this isolated hot flush in, in my shoulder? And that's weird. I don't really get that kind of thing. And then as I'm thinking about it, I'm getting a hot flush that I don't even have because now I'm, like, I'm going to share it with the room. Should I? Shouldn't I? And all of this. And um, now it's kind of obvious something's going on because I'm panicking and everyone's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? They can't see what's going on in, in my mind. And, and then I shared it with the group, which felt great because it's like I've got it out. And then you have that moment where you're like, oh, no, everyone's looking around. Is that person now in the room? Have I just said something really random? Is this going to fall flat on its face? And they're probably less bothered because they didn't share it. I'm more bothered because I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to look a bit of a wally here. And uh, no one responds. Everyone looked at me a bit awkwardly. I felt a bit awkwardly and we moved on. And the next night I was leading a youth small group and I was telling them the story of what happened, exactly how it happened, my shoulder, the hot flush thing, isolated with everything, the hot flush, share it. And um, then I shared that basically I nearly bottled it because of all of that, and then I wish I had bottled it because nothing happened, and I just looked a bit of a wally. And here I am explaining it to this youth group, explaining that, you know, even though I got it wrong, it's about obedience and stepping out and just wanted to do what I felt the Lord was saying, even though nothing really happened. And halfway through the story, one of the girls puts her hand up like this. And it's kind of like, oh, you can go to the toilet on your own. We're not in there like uh, four plus. And anyway, she's like really waving a hand. And I'm like, this is a little bit odd. Like, I'm sharing a story. Do I stop and be interrupted? It's not time for questions. Anyway, in, in the end, she adopts this different tactic. She's like, I'm not waiting for you. I'm just blurting it out. And... Um, She's like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I'm like, what's you? She's like, that's me. Torn shoulder, two years. And as I shared it, she was healed instantly. As I've told the story, she's like, pain gone. I've had it for two years, constantly. Now, you know what young people are like? They're, oh, gosh, the evening changed. They're like clapping and chest bumping and high-fiving. And it is all going on. And I'm just sat there like, what? I shared that last night. What? And earth has just happened. And we started talking that evening about stepping out in faith regardless of the outcome. And we ended the evening with an increased expectancy for what God might do among us, how he moves in incredible power, regardless of anything we could possibly foresee or even imagine. And I want to look at a passage with you this morning that bears some similarities to that story. There are moments in the story where, where things really just seem to be going wrong. There are moments where they have the opportunity just to trust God and to act obediently and to believe what he's saying. And there's a moment where God does something way beyond anything they even thought possible. Be before I jump in, though, I, I kind of also just wanted to say that week after week, here and in other settings just like this, I see the presence of God trying to break in. I think many of you do. The presence of God is trying to break in. And what often happens, particularly on a Sunday, is someone will email me the following week and say, something was shared. I felt the Spirit of God. I felt or sensed Him saying something. But I just, I, I didn't want to respond. I didn't know whether it was me. And honestly, I, I just want to encourage you to respond. Because often the Father breaks in in ways we can't even foresee. And often the thing that even grabs our attention, that may not be the thing. But the Lord might want to do something else. And so I just want to encourage us, respond to the presence of God. 
But before I, I digress with, with going down that track, let's just have a quick look. I want to read the passage in, in Luke chapter 5 and start in verse 1. If you've, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to follow along. If not, I'm, I'm going to read it out. But it says this in, in Luke chapter 5. One day as the disciples were preaching on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets again. And this time the nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What's, what's just happened in, in the passage? Well, Jesus has been teaching in the local area and this huge number of people have started to follow him. We see that the crowds are following him and to give himself a bit of space so that people can get to him and hear him and, and see him. Jesus jumps into a boat that belonged to these fishermen and Simon and a few of the others have just returned from fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And after Jesus is finished speaking to the crowds, he tells Simon, hey, cast, cast out your nets, let's go fishing again. And this time they catch so many fish that the boat begins to sink. And there's a few things I want to draw from that passage and a few things I think we could learn from it together this morning. And th these are the three, so you know where I'm going. God can work through times of failure and crisis in our lives. That's the first one. The second one is God longs for us to be obedient. And the third one is we're changed when we respond. So, so firstly, I believe God can work through times of failure and potential crisis. Verse five, it says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Jesus gets into the boats, into the boat with these guys at this time of potential failure and crisis. A fisherman's life depended on fishing. They've been hard at it all night and they haven't caught anything. Personally, I think they've done well to try it all night. I've tried stuff like that. I tried night fishing with my dad and we gave up after about 20 minutes because we couldn't see anything. But these guys, they know what they're doing. They're like professional fishermen. They knew that nighttime was the best time to go fishing. However, I think there's a point, well, maybe I'm reading into this and reflecting and projecting my own thoughts, but I, I think they would have been really tired. When I'm tired and stayed up all night, I get a bit grumpy. So they've just put in the night shift. They've tried really hard all night and they've got no return. I, I guess with all of us, I know I've had times like that in my life. Productivity is just in the negative. Stuff is not happening in the way 
you for? And Jesus says to Simon, he says, hey, put out into deep water, let down your nets for a fish. Now, what, what do you think Simon's reaction would have been? I think my response would have been like, what? What are you on about? Why on earth would we do that? I, I think I'd be a bit irritated, a bit put out. Master, we've worked hard all night. Why are we going to do that again? I'd, I'd have been thinking something along the lines of, hey, listen, Jesus, we're fishermen. We've always been fishermen. We always will be fishermen. With due respect, you're a carpenter. We know what we're doing. We deal with fish. You deal with wood. We're tired. What's five minutes in the daylight going to do? What's the point in giving it another go? And I know I'm reading a bit into the text. It doesn't say that. But I think there would have been a reluctance. I don't think it would have been a natural response. I don't think they would have just been bubbling over with faith. Hey, Jesus is going to do something we didn't foresee. Let's give it a go. I don't think that was going on. I think they would have been coming up with excuses left, right, and center. And so Jesus says, hey, go into deeper water, put down your nets for a catch. And this response just pops out of his mouth. Master, we've, we've worked hard all night. We've worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing. Why would we do that? Basically, he's like, well, we didn't catch anything then, so why are we going to now? Would you kind of give it a rest? I'm tired. This is my sleeping time. Then he realizes there's a crowd on the shore staring at him. And he's like, oh, did I say that out loud? Again, I'm reading into the text. It doesn't actually say that. But don't, don't you think it's quite refreshing that that was their response? Because that's often my response where the Lord is trying to do something and I'm kind of not quite on board or realizing it. What I love about these guys... <coughs> The guys that Jesus is asking him or eventually asked to follow him, his disciples, is that in so many ways their characters were often quite like mine, quite like ours. It's quite refreshing to see it. So many times we see that the disciples were ambitious. They were argumentative. They were cowardly. They were critical. They were deceived. They were deserters. They were doubtful. They were dull. They were faithless. They were greedy. They misunderstood. They were prayerless. They were revengeful. They were unforgiving. They were unloving. I'm capable of most of that just in a day. But, you know, these were people that Jesus appointed to minister in his name. They weren't yet mature, whole, or holy. And yet Jesus chose to commission them to send them out to tell people about him. Jesus wants to use us as we are, and we get the rough edges knocked off us as we go. We're changed as we go. So what happens next? Well, Jesus says to Simon, hey, shove your boat out. Let's go. Let's leave the shore. Let's just push out a little bit. I know last night didn't quite work out, but let, we, we just give it one more go. We give it another go. How about it? Imagine Jesus gets into your boat. Imagine that's you. And he gets into the boat. Jesus, the son of the living God, is in the boat and he says, will you push out from shore just a little bit? Will you trust me for this? Would, would you do it? He's not, I don't think he's actually asking that much, but he is based on their previous experience. So when Jesus approaches us, often he starts with something really simple. You could even miss it if you're not paying attention. The, the miracle wasn't pushing out the boat. That was to come, but they had to push out the boat to see the miracle. 
Would, would we miss it? Just a little nudge in the right direction. You see, sometimes our journey towards Jesus begins with a time of crisis. It can begin with a time of failure. I wonder if that's how you come here this morning. Maybe a challenge with your health. Maybe a challenge with your marriage. Maybe the continual pain and heartache have been single. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're struggling to overcome aggression or struggling with how you look or just constantly feeling not good enough or just some of the laws or pressures of peer groups that you're associated with. I, some of you may have even come here this morning and you're like, I don't even know why I did come here this morning. Actually, I feel like I was dragged along or somebody tripped. Was it really going to be this? Nobody told me it was going to be this. What am I doing here? And maybe you're just tired of people saying like, oh, don't worry, you'll get through it. You know, it'll, it'll work out in the end. Or it came good in the person who's chatting with your life, but you just can't see that for your own life. Well, I, I want to encourage you, and I think we see it in this passage, that these are often the times where God works, and he works powerfully. Whatever it might be in our lives, whatever the circumstances that might lead us to that point of crisis, it's often in those times that God gets our attention. As we move away from self-reliance and we start to move into a place of relying on God, maybe actually it's totally the opposite for you. Maybe at this time in life, if you were just to benchmark it now, you'd say, actually, it's pretty good, actually. Things are going pretty well. But, you know, either way, Simon and the other guys, they recognized that, that something needed to change and they were willing to allow Jesus into the boat to do something about it. And I want to encourage you, regardless of your present situation or your circumstances, to be attentive. Are you willing to let Jesus into the boat, to just push that boat out a little bit when he nudges us? We're in the middle of a series that I've been doing on invitation. We're invited to know Jesus. We're invited to know him, but also to show him and to share him with, with others. And the invitation really starts just by letting, letting him in. Are you willing to let him in? Let's not let our background, let's not let our preconceived ideas or our present difficulties or our past failures or our self-doubt or even our doubt of God or the opinion of others, whatever it might be, let's not let that be the thing that keeps us from Jesus. Now, it would be quite easy to let one or a number of those things get in the way. Simon was, was, was maybe trying to safeguard himself from failure right at the start. Why am I going to do that again? Why, why would I try that again? It didn't work last time. After all, he's tried fishing all night. Why would you want to fail? Nobody wants to fail. How's he going to recover from that? It was hard enough last time, but to do it again. You know, in that small group, when I had the word about the shoulder, it would have been so easy to think, well, I'm never doing that again. That was just a bit embarrassing. What, what's the challenge for you? Is God asking you just to push the boat out a little from the shore this year, maybe to let down your net again, maybe to, to let him into the boat in the first place. For some of you, it's to get baptised. When we come to faith in Jesus, when we turn from our old ways, we get baptised. Would you give us the privilege of baptising you, marking 
the moment in your journey, I think, is really powerful. Can I invite you to consider that? We're doing one, I think, we just mentioned it. It's on the 6th of October. But don't leave today without asking a question about that. When Simon lets Jesus into the boat, I, I kind of think, I might be wrong, but I think he might have been showing a bit of a half-hearted, half-hearted sorry, obedience. I, but I love how Jesus reacts to what he says. He doesn't chuck him overboard. I'm like, oh, you're not really in, are you? I've, I've seen it so many times in my own life. I kind of give it a go, sometimes a little bit reluctantly. And sometimes I make a bit of a hash of it. And yet somehow Jesus manages to take my simple longing to step out in obedience and does something quite remarkable. This, this is where obedience is key. Even though it makes no sense, if Simon had not obeyed, would they have caught the fish? Well, I guess Jesus could have done it another way. He could have just made the fish jump into the boat without him pushing the boat out. He could have done that. But I think what he longs to do is for us to be involved. And so the, the second thing I really want to talk about this morning is obedience. God longs for us to be obedient. Verse 5, because you say so. I'll let down the nets. Simon was probably thinking, well, naturally, no chance. I'm not going to do that again. I'm, I'm the fisherman. I'm the professional. I know what I'm doing. You're a carpenter. Nah. But because you say so, I'll give it a go. Simon's presented with this opportunity, a chance to choose God's best and a chance to live out God's fullest. What, what, what would you do for Jesus? I guess that's the test. How can you choose God's best at each opportunity that you're presented with? Because you say so. Because you say so. You know, actually, I'm tired of being the only one who tries with my family. But because you say so. Actually, I'm pretty shy and I've, this hasn't worked out before. I don't really want to share my faith at work. It's not the easiest thing to do. But because you say so, we'll wait until I'm married to have sex. Well, the culture's moved on from that one. But because you say so, I'm busy. I, I don't really have time for community, for small groups, for relating with others, for going on this journey of sharing life together. Ah, but because you say so, dealing with an aggressive attitude is really hard work but because you say so. I'm not going to fit in, actually, if I don't swear or gossip or get drunk. That's what everyone else is doing in my seasonal stage of life. But because you say so, I'll live differently. What, what, is, what is it in your lives? What can you pull down now? What can you grab hold of? What do you feel the Father is speaking to you over? What... If we're willing and obedient with it, if Jesus says so, is he nudging you and prompting you in that? This invitation series is really based around just trying to awaken something in you, awaken the fullness of a relationship that you could have with Jesus and also to share it. On the 13th of October, we're going to have this gathering just like this. And I can't think what we're calling it, but it's kind of around the idea of try church. I want to encourage you to ask somebody that you're in relationship with or not even in relationship with, someone you know, maybe somebody you don't know, to try church. We try and make 
all of these environments as accessible as possible, but especially so that week. Who, who could you invite? Who could you step out in faith and ask somebody? Simon and the others had been at it hard all night, working away, struggling for nothing. But as soon as Jesus got into the boat, everything changed. Simon's act of obedience was just to let the nets down again. It says verse 6 and 7, when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And as they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Jesus asked Simon to push his boat into deeper water for a catch. And what was the result? An utterly unprecedented catch of fish in a location that seemed hopeless the night before. And it was caught at the powerful and the authority of the word of Jesus. What, what an amazing God we serve. The focus on the passage and the focus in the passage, it's not on the nets, it's not the size of the bait, it's not how long they'd fish for. The focus is on Jesus because the doing bit is really down to him. Sometimes I think we take the ownership, we take the responsibility, but it's not on us, it's on him. They just had to be willing to let the net down again. Would you step out? Could I encourage you step out and invite someone? It's not to say that obedience always comes easily. Being obedient often is a sacrifice. Sometimes it means facing criticism. It can be embarrassing. Regularly, it means laying down our own desires and preferences. But if he says so, will we do it? Let me give you an example just <coughs> in my own life. Before Steph and I got married, Steph was studying um, at Lee Juni, which was miles away from where I was in Essex at the time. And one of the challenges that we faced while she was there was working out where I'd stay when I went to visit. Now, the easy option would have been to sleep on the floor in Steph's room. But it, it's kind of got to be said that for her to resist me would have placed her under phenomenal pressure. So um, she's got eyes. So, I mean, but joking aside... Um, we, we both wanted to be obedient to prioritizing purity and knew that sleeping in the same room was just not a wise thing to do. So we long not to compromise our own resolve and witness around us. Now, just to put this into wider context, I was working in the fire service at the time and I honestly, I came under daily pressure, like not even daily, I came under like half hourly pressure from my colleagues in this particular area of my life. I was ridiculed. I was under immense pressure to compromise what I believe was God's best. Every conversation was sexualized. And so I contacted the local vineyard church um, up in, in Leeds. And uh, amazingly, this couple in the church offered me a, a room for a small fee. And I was kind of like, small fee? I'm just trying to do God's thing. What are you charging me for? And um, anyway, I went to visit this guy and he reminded me of my physics teacher, which was, it wasn't a good memory. And um, it, it was kind of like a force to be reckoned with. And I became increasingly nervous when this guy said he expected me to be in by nine o'clock each night. I'm like, really? And anyway, the icing on the cake was this guy lived 40 miles away, like the other side of the big hill, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a big one, you'll know. Um, it, just, it just wasn't going to work. I, I could drive from Essex to Leeds quicker than I was going to in Russia or get back to this guy. So what, what are we going to choose? The right option or the easy option? 
So I started asking around. I was like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work. There must be another option. So I found a couple of student lads in the church that lived about three miles away. And they were like, oh, when you're up, you can sleep on the sofa. And I was like, yes, the Lord is providing. This is wonderful. And I popped around to visit it. And I've seen some amazing student accommodation in my time. And some really interesting accommodation. And um, this house was another level. They were using paper plates rather than washing up. And I'm like, I kind of, I can work with that. That's okay. But to even take these paper plates to the bin was like a stretch too far. So it was quite a pile. And they've, they've showed me to my accommodation, which was the sofa in the living room. And no lie. Now, you're going to think I'm lying. You're going to think I'm exaggerating. And you're going to think this is a stretch from the truth. No lie. This rat ran behind the sofa. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Plan A was not going to work. Plan B was not great. What are we going to do? The right option or the easy option? I remember thinking as I drove away, I was deflated. I was like, God, you are having a laugh with me. I am trying to do the right thing. And I'm going to have to sleep on this sofa with a rat. Anyway, I was baffled. When, when we, we went back, I got back to where Steph stayed in this hall of residence. And everyone else is like, where have you been? What are you doing? And I'm telling them the lengths I'm going to sleep in a different room. And some of the lads in Steph's house were like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just sleep on my floor? And I spent the next three years, well, not three years, I spent the next year just moving around a different guy's house, staying up virtually all night talking about Jesus. It was amazing. The, the, the opportunity he gave me. Anyway, Steph came to second year, and um, when they were looking for a house, they found this house with six rooms in it, but unknown to me, there was an extra room that the landlord couldn't rent out because it was too small. We could literally just get a bed in it, and so I could have it for the rest of her time at uni. Now, I make it sound slightly better than it was. There was like there was no light, no windows, just this little hole at the top. And in the morning, this little bird used to come in and pay me a visit. But it was amazing. It was a provision. I didn't even have to pay for it. It was phenomenal. Now, why, why do I tell you all of that? Well, we wanted to be obedient, but it wasn't practical. It definitely wasn't the easier option, and it didn't really make sense to anybody around us. But we wanted to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And I hope, I dearly hope, we would have done that regardless of whether or not the easy option eventually showed up. I think it's important to say what I'm not saying is I always get it right. What I'm not saying is we always make the right judgment in every area of our life. Of course we make mistakes. But what I am saying is Jesus invites us to be obedient. He longs for us to be obedient. The, the, the third and the final thing I wanted to say this morning is God changes us as we respond. Verse 8 to 10 says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, great name, Simon's partners. You know, when we see Jesus, our lives are changed. When we respond to him, our lives are transformed. I long to fall on my knees before Jesus and just have this heart cry of change me, change me, change me, change me. Make me more like you. You know, in the case of Simon, he falls to his knees and he's like, go away from me, Lord. Go, oh, I'm a sinful man. 
I, I find that really refreshing. I've had times in my own life where I feel like I've met with the Lord. I've spent time in his presence and he's answered my prayers in amazing ways. And I suddenly realize I'm just too human. I am just too normal. I am too unbelieving. Even this last week, I just had a, a moment where I felt like that happened to me. I, I just, oh, this is almost too much. Father, you come into the realization of just who you are and how desperately you need him and his presence. I feel like some of this actually is even landing on us as a church. We've been awakened to the fullness of what he has for us. And in that moment, sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not like a, it's not always a shame thing. It's more of a realization of the holiness of the presence of God. Paul finds a similar thing in Romans 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. He will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers, delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's kind of what I said right at the start about in Romans 5. It's like the, the love of God. He chose you before you chose him. Nothing can separate. If you've come with that sense of condemnation or doubt or separation this morning, it doesn't need to be the case. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus. Simon and Paul both share the same conclusion. The answer is Jesus coming to him humbly, brokenhearted, and then allowing him to restore us. It happened that night in that small group with those young people. I was blown away by it. I'd kind of boxed God in to only working in a certain way, ways that I could understand, ways that I could explain, ways that made sense. And my eyes were opened to a fresh sense of who he really was and my response was nothing really but to fall on my knees before him afresh simon knows he's a sinner he knows he's not worthy to experience the benefit of god's power and his presence but as he encounters jesus his response was and i hope as would be the same it's to fall on his knees longing for forgiveness and to be changed more into the likeness of jesus i Honestly, I, I, I think we've got to be careful here, though. I think there's a helpful warning in this passage. Don't be tempted to turn your back on Jesus because you think you're so unworthy. Have you ever felt that? At times you can just feel, I'm so unworthy. I don't deserve it. I, what's the point trying? I'm such a failure, such a wreck in my life. I just keep consistently falling short of what I think he's got for me. And I saw that in my dad's life. He made so many mistakes and as a result he turns his back on God. He distanced himself from him. He knew God but he chose to deny him countless times. He had moments and opportunities where his eyes were opened afresh but such was his guilt and his shame that he couldn't handle it. God can't forgive me because of this. He couldn't bring himself to turn back to God he spent his whole life just saying I've gone too far it's too late God can't forgive me I've messed it up and almost like Simon said in verse 8 it's like this go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man you know thankfully I think some of you know the story as a broken wretched dying man he did in his end fall on his knees before Jesus but Jesus can forgive you honestly if you're willing to let go if you're willing to acknowledge your need of him in this passage, Jesus met the fishermen in their failure and he restored them and offered them a new way of living. Something else that's really powerful in this passage that we could quite easily miss if we skimmed over it is initially 
Simon calls Jesus master. He says, verse 5, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But then in verse 8, he falls to his knees before him and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, seeing and acknowledging Jesus for who he really is changes everything. He's no longer your master. He refers to him as Lord, the one who Simon is willing to drop everything for and follow. I, I believe that when we truly realize who he is and all that he calls us to, the faith to follow him comes far more easily. You know, in verse 10 and 11, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. From now on, he says, you'll fish for people. Well, that's, that's a career change and a half. But Jesus transforms lives. As we respond to him, we're changed. What's next, as he calls him to follow him, I, I believe that the change goes beyond ourselves. It's not just that we're changed, it's that others are changed as we're changed and that overflow goes to those around us. As we're changed, we're called to make a change. Jesus, so just as the disciples are called to follow Jesus, they were then called to fish for people. Now, I know many of you will know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, but I just thought I'd clear it up for you. Um, a, a thermometer measures the temperature and a thermostat changes it. I was reminded of this when Steph and I, we had central heating fitted in this place we lived in down south. Prior to having it, we, we settled for this tiny little oil field radiator thing. And during the winter months, I had to set the timer at 3 a.m. so that by about seven-ish, we could get up and at least put an arm out of the duvet without frostbite. And so if, if you dare poke a toe out, your toe would just fall off in the middle of the night. That's an exaggeration. The rat thing was true. That's not true. <laughs> but um, it was. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, it was just so cold. So anyway, we've, we've saved up a bit of money and we eventually could afford central heating. Now, this super-duper piece of modern technology that many of us take for granted came with a thermostat. Now, surely central heating will be more efficient than this tiny little oil-filled radiator. So... Rather than set it for 3 a.m. like we used to, I thought I'd set it for 5 a.m. And it would be surely warm by about 7-ish. Now, never had the luxury of being able to control heating. I pondered what temperature to set it to. So I set it to 35. And um, I, I literally, I set it to come on at 5, about 20 past 5. I woke up feeling like I'd swallowed a sandpit. You know when you're like, what is going on in here? Uh, it's like been in the Caribbean. Now, we are roasting. So we adopted the emergency house evacuation procedure, which is basically Steph stood at the back door and I'm at the front door and we're just wafting air into the house thinking we're not going to be able to cope. But what, what massive lesson. But what, what I wanted to say was this. You know, in life, I believe we're not just supposed to be a thermometer that measures the temperature of the environment. We're supposed to be a thermostat that affects it and changes it and alters it. I believe that we're called to alter and adjust the temperature of the environment around us. One example would be, and to link to what I told you earlier, when Steph was at uni, we didn't go around judging people. Well, you're sleeping in the same room? Oof, what the Lord say about that? You know, it's not supposed to be like that. Even if you come here this morning and from what I've said, you feel a degree of condemnation, that's not... That's not what I want you to hear. 
It's the same with so many situations and circumstances we face now. We're supposed to be in these places to adjust the temperature, to make a difference, to live differently, to allow people around us to see Jesus through our attitude, our actions, our behaviours, to adjust the temperature. It's as a result of us being in them, those environments that the temperature is changed and that others are changed through that as they see something of the presence of God. I long to be somebody that passionately lives for Jesus, that alters the temperature around me. I, I, I don't want to just go along with a flow. I'm not just going to swear because everyone else is swearing. I'm not just going to gossip because that's how I fit in and it makes it easier. Put other people down because it makes you feel a bit fluffed up. Bully the person that everybody else is bullying. As we respond to Jesus, the invitation is to obedience. And as we're obedient, we begin to change. I, we often say it in these environments. I just wanted to say it again. Come as you are. Honestly, come here as you are. But we don't stay as we are because as we, as we encounter Jesus, we're, we're changed. And you're invited into that place. You're invited to be part of that environment. But I want to encourage many of you, you're invited to invite others into it. Sometimes it's really helpful just to have a moment and a marker and say, well, on the 13th of October, step out, invite somebody else in. Let me, let me just recap some of what I tried to share with you. You know, God can work through times of potential failure of crisis. What might otherwise seem like failure in crisis with Jesus is often just an opportunity. If that's how you come here this morning, it may be an opportunity for breakthrough right now in your lives, whatever it might be, whatever the circumstance that leads you to that place. God can get our attention as we move from self-reliance to dependency on God. Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to give our lives to his words, to his life? Or do we hand over our thoughts and our actions and surrender them to Jesus? The Holy Spirit working in us and through us to produce a pattern of living that's pleasing to him. Are we willing to listen and learn? Obedience is really key because you say so. Father, because you say so, I'll let down the net. And then finally, we're changed. We're changed as we respond to him. When we see Jesus, our lives are changed and the results is, is abundantly more than we could have foreseen, expected, or even imagined. Why don't we stand together?